welcome to the exciting world of the movies. Thanks for helping us keep the theater clean. As you exit the auditorium, please deposit litter in trash receptacles in the lobby. Please be considerate and don't talk during the show. Happy Halloween and welcome to the movie graveyard. As always, the usual caretaker of the graveyard, the goat, is here and I'm joined on this spooky All Hallows Eve by Trev3k, the man who is keeping this graveyard going. He's digging up these corpses left and right. He's picked actually both Halloween movies this year and I have to say, I think he did a great job, you know, getting some uh, some gems from the 80s especially, really going back to our 80s roots, so I appreciate that as well. Trev, how are you doing and why don't you tell these fine boys and ghouls what movie we'll be watching tonight oh this is great this is, this is halloween this is halloween you know um well i should have done like the we're going to like the old school we should have done the Marilyn manson cover for you yeah. know to be a little edgier you know <laughs> in this <town>. but uh, <laughs> uh no my favorite Without a doubt, my favorite time of the year. So thank you for inviting me to the graveyard twice this month. Uh, you know, we're always working in a graveyard here, but obviously this is the extra spooky time of year. Uh, so I picked two very not overall spooky movies, I guess. But that said, uh, <laughs> yeah. still this for this uh, this second go around, I wanted to uh, pick a favorite of mine. It's not just that it's, uh, this film, it's not just that the movie I think is very appropriate for Halloween, although I think it is, but just obviously the persona that we'll talk a lot about tonight that is this is based on is of course uh one of the stalwart halloween traditions and that is elvira mistress of the dark and we'll be watching the movie of the same name the the attempt to make this character who uh you know a lot of our younger listeners might not know this character was just a phenomenon in the 80s like you really couldn't get away from elvira and uh this was the attempt to make her into a movie star and we'll talk about why maybe that didn't happen and, and things like that. But this has definitely become a cult favorite, I believe. And I'm part of that cult. And so I'm glad to get a chance to talk about it today. Yeah, in the 1980s, whenever Halloween time would uh, roll around, you couldn't uh, swing a boner without hitting an mm-hmm. Elvira Coors Light advertisement at the grocery store. <laughs> and obviously, if you were looking at Elvira, that's probably what you were doing, too, was swinging a boner around. So. Exactly. So without delay, we will go ahead and get uh, started here. Uh, this film, as of uh, this recording, is only available on DVD. Um, I thought, but for our but our, for our listeners across the pond, soon yes. you you will be able to uh, join us with the fancy new Blu-ray that Arrow is putting out. Exactly. So far, they've only announced a Region B version of it, but we'll see we'll see what happens with American uh, rights at some point. And we will be definitely swinging our importing boners when that is released as well, because we are region free. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. And this is uh, just so I just to throw out some stats. This is from uh, 1988, I believe, is the year. Am I correct on this? I thought it was 89, but I, I think maybe you're right. When I think. MGP has a list as 88. So, yeah, I just yeah. want to th- throw that out there. So imagine a, a young eight year old Trevor Snyder mm-hmm. watching this and having all kinds of developing feelings. You know, oh, so. yeah, definitely. This was um, this was like your. Um... <laughs> I don't know if I should go. <laughs> No, I, I think it's interesting. I don't know. We're, we're not we're not two part in age. I think like well, Elvira yeah. was a very crucial figure in like me having a yeah. sexual awakening. You know, yeah, sure. she was definitely our Asia Argento of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was gonna. I wish, you know? right? But uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. 1988. I don't know why I had 89 in my head, 
But yeah, without further ado, we are rolling out the DVDs. Here's some sync instructions if you want to follow along with us at home. Um, we have the Anchor Bay DVD. There's a beginning, there's like a weird, lame, phantasm-inspired advertisement for Chase Digital Stereo. Just go ahead and go past that and get into the actual movie here. This was a New World Pictures movie, so the New World Pictures iconic logo, which I gotta say, I think maybe is, at this point, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, movie logos, but, um... Yeah, that's going to be coming on with those red slats. We have it paused actually at the two-second mark because our remote control trigger fingers were not fast enough to get it at the one-second mark. Yeah, so two seconds. Getting old. Yeah, exactly. We are. <laughs> so two-second mark here. I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And when I say go, please hit play on your DVD player remotes or Blu-ray players or Ultra 4K players or. You could even rock all the way back to a PS2 on this because this is standard definition DVD. All right, everybody. One, two, three, go. All right, we are rolling. Boo! I'm getting blinded by them white flashes coming out from me. Yeah. (laughs) Watching this on my 7-inch monitor here. This is blowing my mind. And it's got the nice wobble that we like, too. (laughs) I do. I do. I was just thinking that. Like, oh, there it is. There's the wobble. Yeah, if I ever start, like, a production company and make independent films or whatever, I'm definitely going to see if I can get somebody to CGI animate me a logo with a wobble in it like that. And what's this? I think I have the wrong DVD because suddenly we're in the 1950s movie graveyard here. We yeah. got uh, some, uh, So we start this with some footage from uh, a Roger Corman classic, It Conquered the World. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something interesting going on here, though. I don't know if you noticed this when you were watching this last night. This is the footage of It Conquered the World, but I'm pretty sure the soundtrack is, like, not the actual soundtrack. Because in fact, yeah. in a moment here, we have some dialogue, and it's so not the original actors. They're like yeah. dubbing in new voices, and I was just kind of confused by that. If they got the rights to use the movie, why did they have to do a new dialogue and soundtrack? I honestly took it to be just to be for comedic effect or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Well, this there, art, but this, yeah, you, nice you, enough though. We get Dick Miller in this yeah, movie. Yeah, young Dick Miller. Like mm-hmm. he looks like a young Tom Holland there. <laughs> He's so young and fresh right there. Uh, we missed a day where Dick Miller could have been Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. We did. Even Stan Lee missed that day because I think he <laughs> agreed. <laughs> well, who, who was it? Was it Kirby and Stan Lee invented Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. No, Ditko. Sorry, Ditko. Yeah, that's Stan. right. Ditko. Ditko and Stan Lee. If they would have invented him 10 years earlier and made a movie simultaneously, they could have. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we're set up with the conceit of the horror host here. Um, yeah, for those keeping track at home, it took uh, about a minute forty five seconds before we got our first boob joke. Um, exactly. There's going to be a couple more to come. I don't want to spoil it, but there's a couple more in this movie. And I mean, like, yeah, there's 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 about two or three dozen boob jokes in this movie. So mm-hmm. you know, when you sit down to watch it, you know, be prepared for that. So this is interesting. So right off the bat, as you said, we're, we're catching uh, Elvira basically on the set of the show that she was hosting, at, at you know, in real life at this time. You know, Elvira's movie, Macabre, which is what she was known for, certainly. It was a regional, started as a regional uh, show in L.A. and didn't take too long before it was nationally syndicated. And that's when she kind of started to get more attention. And then, as you said, became a spokesperson for Coors Light, started to make a lot of appearances on, like, The Tonight Show and various other shows and just kind of took off. But I thought it was interesting that the choice to make a movie about Elvira, right, like, it, I think it's kind of um, well, I'll, well. Before I get to that, really quickly, do you know who this uh, anchor woman is here? 
Oh, no, she looks familiar. Who is it? So this is actually Tress McNeil, who's a very famous voice actor who's known for doing a lot of the voices on like The Simpsons and other kind of uh, really popular cartoons. Oh, so wow. I just noticed that on IMDb. But, um, but anyways, yeah, like what I was going to say is, so you have this character called Elvira, and we should point out Elvira is obviously a character. So we're talking about Cassandra Peterson here as the actress who portrays her. But it really is one of those things where this was like more kind of an 80s and early 90s phenomenon of characters that were so big that they just kind of eclipsed the performer and i think of like elvira and ernest and peewee right like where it's just like yeah you, you kind of know there's an actor but everyone just knows the character and just thinks right. the characters that that must be what they are 24 7 right yeah we and wish. i thought it was interesting yeah and some of them would do yeah in this and case we wish that this decision to do an elvira movie actually positions her as Elvira, the horror hostess right and that they right. didn't do like uh you know put her into a horror film with like uh portrayer as a vampire or anything like it's like right. no it's it's elvira as we know or just this kind of ditzy girl who hosts a horror show so i thought that was kind of cool and a unique take on it well what i thought was really cool about it you know and like obviously i didn't really think about this as a kid or whatever i was just like oh yeah elvira like you said that's her 24 7 but i like that it, it really peels the uh onion back mm-hmm. like to be like you know showing all the behind the scenes of like her her tv gig here but mm-hmm. it doesn't peel it back to the point of, like you said, like it doesn't peel it all the way back to be like, oh, this is Cassandra Peterson playing Elvira. It's right. like, no, Elvira it's, is a real person. It's a nice mix, actually, because if you want to buy into Elvira as a character beyond Cassandra Peterson, this movie does, like you said, d- does the best of both worlds, where it shows that she's a horror hostess, but then later on, it does actually give the Elvira character an origin that you can apply and say, okay, so yeah, she is a supernatural character to a certain degree. Yeah. And we should say in the last scene, Elvira definitely was a uh, pioneer of the hashtag MeToo movement. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yes, a, a, a greasy oil Texan tycoon, whatever he was, showed up. He owns the station now, and he wanted to take her to dinner to uh, discuss her future. And just straight out, not even one-handed, both hand uh, groped her uh, breast there. So, mm-hmm. and, she, and she kicked him, and he fell down, and then... You know, the, the news anchor desk fell down, and then the news anchor lady's wig blew off. So, was, I, I have to say, I like the slapstick nature of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this movie, I don't know, It's it has an interesting reputation. I think the general consensus is it's not a good movie, and I'm not right. here to... I'm not here to defend it in a sense of saying, like, oh, everyone's wrong. It's like a, some misunderstood masterpiece. But I will come in and say, I actually think it's kind of a good movie for what it's trying to be. Right. Uh, and I think like it's aged well in terms of this kind of – I was definitely thinking this the other night when I was watching is, and we say this for a lot of movies we watch in the show, but – we don't get movies like this anymore. Mm. Like you can't imagine a, a film that feels like this coming out in theaters nowadays. And no. part of that is what I was talking about with like the, the just persona driven comedy. But even just like you said, the slapstick mixed with some supernatural elements and things, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like it's aged a little better than maybe people were expecting at the time. No, for sure. And definitely um, what kind of makes a little more sense to me in terms of taking this character. Like if you look at this movie, the the kind of template trev it reminds me of the most is um like kind of like it feels like a saturday night live movie so like let's mm-hmm. say elvira was a saturday night live character that they didn't for based. sure like it definitely has a feel and i think it's interesting that it wasn't as far as i know there was no involvement from snl directly or lauren michaels or anybody like that 
But this movie actually was a co-production between NBC Productions and New World Pictures. And it was actually NBC Productions who, oddly at that at this time, it's weird when we think of networks making movies, but it kind of does happen. Like, there actually is a CBS Films currently. And, yeah. ba- and back then in the 80s, there was NBC. NBC also made the... Um, uh, John Cusack, Tim Robbins, crazy comedy tape heads, which was really kind of far out. Like this, this mm-hmm. movie Elvira is a lot more commercial and conventional compared to tape heads. But even still, this Elvira movie is like completely insane and wacky and not what you would, you know, consider a traditional well, like, even comedy movie. It's interesting to say that I have two points to make to that, because first of all, um, the backstory of this film is actually that at this point, NBC was thinking about developing some kind of Elvira show. Right. And that kind of eventually just morphed into this. They decided to go with the movie instead. Right. But you, you mentioned the thing about how feeling a Saturday Night Live movie and not having a direct Saturday Night Live connection, but it actually kind of does, and that the director of this film, James Signorelli, if you look up his filmography, he is primarily an SNL director. Oh, really? He's been, uh, yeah, he's done a lot of work for SNL, and as far as I can remember, I think the only other movie, or at least notable movie he directed, is uh, Easy Money, the Rodney Dangerfield film. Okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's that and this, and then then he's done just a lot of SNL work over the years. So yeah, there is a connection there. And if you want to even push it a little further beyond that, this isn't a direct SNL connection, but I'm sure during some slower points in the film, of which there are some, yeah. we'll we'll talk about the history of Elvira, particularly to me, because I'm a huge Elvira fanatic, uh, which will probably become more and more apparent as this goes along. But uh, Cassandra Peterson, who has a, 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 actually a a kind of amazing life story if you start looking into it yeah i read it the other but, night it's pretty wild but one of the things that uh you know one of the reasons this elvira character works so well is she has background in improv comedy she was actually a member of the groundlings right. which is a famous improv comic group out of la and uh you know so she was good friends with uh, paul rubens and phil hartman and, and so there is a somewhat of an snl connection there to where you know in another t- another lifetime she could have easily have been an snl performer right but she kind of found this one character that really caught on and, and just stuck with it. Yeah, and I have to say this opening where um, basically the basic plot of this movie is that Elvira gets fired from her TV gig. And she's she's been working on this deal to, to put on a Las Vegas show starring herself. But it just keep you know, the, like it keeps like you know falling through, falling through. And basically it's going to take some upfront money to get this show off the ground. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, she gets word that you know she had a relative that passed away, but she has to drive all the way. I'm blanking now. Where, what state does she have to? Because they established the TV station was in San Francisco, but doesn't she have yeah. to drive? Is it Maine or Maryland? I can't remember. I think it's. Well, I want to say Maryland or Massachusetts, but it's definitely yeah. on. It's like the East Coast. Uh, really, just a quick, quick little bit of trivia here. So she stopped at this kind of ratty gas station out in the desert, and this gas station attendant, who's basically just a kind of a standard trope 80s comic like oh this guy who farts and picks his nose and yeah. stuff but uh this is played by john paragon who's the co-writer of the film he's actually co-wrote a lot of the elvira material with her uh back in the original days and like they co-wrote some book like some elvira novels together and stuff wow. but he's but he also comes from that groundling area and he's also uh one of the key figures in Wee's playhouse he was one of the main writers and directors of that and he actually played jambi the the genie head in the box that's crazy. I did I, that. I did not know. Like I was gonna say, like yeah, this opening with this road trip, it definitely has a Pee Wee's Big Adventure feel to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that was an accident. I think they were probably going for it, like when she picked up the hitchhiking axe murder and stuff. Like no, of course, and you know, you you might know Cassandra Peterson and Paul Rubens are really good friends in real life, and she she is in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. She plays the like biker queen at the uh, the biker bar he goes to. 
And uh, that actually brings me to, so one thing you and I talked about, one thing I want to do periodically through this show is kind of talk about some of the Elvira movies I wish had happened. Uh, not that these are ones that were in the works, but these are just things I think should have been done with Elvira. Not right. that I'm, you know, I like this film and she would go on to make one other movie, which I'll mention a little bit about later. But uh, I, I, I wish this character had taken off and had more of like an earnest kind of run of, of yeah, multiple films. Too. And one of the things I'll say, like, I, I'm kind of really surprised that we never got an Elvira Peewee movie, right. uh, considering that they are really good friends and considering that it's I, I, I just see so much potential for putting those two characters together. And honestly, I think you could still do it. I would actually be kind of cool if they both said, like, let's both just do this as like, fun, like a final hurrah for both of our characters. But uh, I could see it being like, you know, I, I feel like Pee-wee would be the main character. Maybe, you know, put Pee-wee in like a Jonathan Harker and Dracula kind of role where he gets sent to this mysterious old castle for some reason. And she's the person who lives there and just let them kind of bounce off of each other. And just knowing that they get along in real life, knowing they have this background, I feel like that would just be like a, a real, you know, treat of a movie. But I think that'd be awesome. By the way, there totally was a hot dog that fell in her boobs joke just a second ago. So, I mean, there's... Yep. You know, if people think our our uh, approach or humor in discussing this film is uh, you know crude and rude, this movie is definitely for uh, for uh, is it PG or PG thirteen? Oh, it's PG thirteen, goat. And yeah. I want to talk to you about that so much during this yeah. movie because that's another thing. I was watching, like, this is such a raunchy PG thirteen. I couldn't is. I couldn't believe it the other night. I was thinking, like, man, this yeah. is not. I don't know that this would skate by with PG thirteen nowadays. I don't think it could because there's a lot of. Um, I mean, first of all, they. I mean, she's not, like, a, a slut slut. It's not like she bangs ten guys in the movie. But she definitely, like, and I think in a kind of interestingly uh, progressive way, she's very, like, she's kind of the biggest horn dog of the whole movie. In all oh, honesty, yeah. yeah. You know. And for those who, I don't know why you'd be listening and be this far in if you're not familiar with Elvira at all, but for those of you who might not be familiar with the, just Elvira character in general, that's kind of the joke of Elvira, right? And that uh, outwardly she is this, uh, well, I mean, no, outwardly she definitely has the cleavage going. But I mean, in terms of the overall appearance, she's a nod to like the, the classic horror hosts like Vampira. She has like this dark kind of sinister appearance, but her persona and personality is that of kind of a, a horny valley girl. Right. You know, ditzy and definitely always on the prowl for men. Uh, as we see her ear shamelessly flirting with 15 year old boys. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, this and is, all you know the the sense of humor of Elvira is obviously a lot of double entendre and you know more sex based jokes than horror jokes. But that was what was unique about her, and that's what that's what took off because it wasn't just the obvious like ooh I'm spooky. You know, it was a, it right. was a different take on it. Yeah, there was definitely, and I gotta say too, um, you know, maybe it's just you know maybe I'm a backlot racist, and I think all backlots look the same, but like. Like, you know, she drives into this small town, which is clearly, like, backlots. And, like, the backlots, the town square and all that definitely reminded me of the ones from uh, Midnight Hour that we just watched a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Like, this I'm, is a great This is a great joke. I actually kind of love this. This this kind old man, you know, who's just kind of the typical, you think he's just got that typical, like, homespun uh, small town mechanic. And he's just giving her the old rigmarole about her engine. And then she walks away and he just says, nice tits. That's <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> yeah you know. that's, that's, the, that's the level of humor we're working with here. But I don't know. It made me laugh. Yeah, yeah, it is funny. And, and 
like I don't know, like like maybe it's because she's such a a presence, you know, like a shocking figure. Not, I mean, the cleavage is it. I I mean, Elvira cleavage is always like over the top, but I think this one, you know, probably because they had the time to do the costume a certain way and all that. I think this movie, the cleavage is insane, but it never gets old to me watching like guys freak out when they see her for the first time. Yeah. Well, like I said, if this was, you know, if you didn't know this as a character, can you imagine if this person walked into, like, your place of business right. or something? I, I think, you know, even today that would be like, even in, uh, you know, our more lax, you know, our our society is just degenerated and millennials have no morals. They don't. <laughs> but, uh, but even today, I think that would, that would be pretty shocking to see Elvira in the real world, in the wild. Yeah, I mean, she definitely... You know, just appearance-wise, I mean, it's like... And, like, that's the thing, too, is I feel like any kind of future female horror host, it's, like, it's so hard to, like, get away from the Elvira look. Because, like, what else can mm-hmm. you do? Like, gets so influential, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elvira, like, uh, I kind of want to talk about horror hosts just in general, and maybe we'll find some time to fit that in. But you're right, she kind of... She broke the mold in a way, and then, like I said, kind of, like, really... It's it's you don't want to be cynical and mean about it, but you're right. It kind of like it kind of did set horror hosts back in a way. And I don't mean it in like I don't think that was the intention or anything, but no, it created, I, I mean, it created yeah. too much of a template. Yeah, right. It, it's it's almost like that thing of like once Arnold Schwarzenegger played a cyborg in The Terminator, didn't matter what movie you were watching. Every cyborg in every movie was kind of like The Terminator. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely good for her. I mean, that's why I still think in a lot of ways, you know, you know, even all these years later when she does occasionally kind of, you know, does stuff as the character, uh, I I think it's like, you know, I mean, first of all, she looks amazing now still. I mean, once she gets in the makeup, you mean, it's almost like she hasn't really aged at all, but like, but just so, you know, like she's still on top of the game all these decades later. And I have to say like, uh, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because I know this guy had career troubles and whatever, but I'm kind of surprised. And I know it was because, like, they had some history together, but, like, I was surprised that that at this point in time, like, roughly 10 years after Grease, like, Jeff Conaway was resorted to playing, like, a a local yokel thug in such a Mm low-budget movie. (laughs) It actually looks like he's playing stuntman Mike here. Yeah, he really does, yeah. And it's kind of funny, too, because it's, like, I mean, obviously the timeline doesn't work out because Greece was supposed to be in the 50s. But I kind of almost could see, like, this is where Kanicki would have ended up, like, say, more like in the 70s or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just a small town hood and stuff. This uh, The guy playing his buddy here, too. Um, uh, let's see here. I'm on IMDb. Frank Collison is the actor's name. Kind of just a recognizable face of this. And that's actually yeah. true of a lot of this film. It, this is if you, were, if you were like us, a big 80s movie nut. This is another one of those fun movies to watch just because so many kind of familiar character actor faces pop up. Even just the uh, the couple that runs the uh, the inn she just went to stay at, I, I definitely recognize from other films of the time. And we, of course, saw uh, the great Edie McClurg earlier, yeah. uh, who is uh, always a, always a, like a welcome presence in any film. Um, she sure. has kind of a big, big role in this. And then there'll be a couple others that will pop up that we'll point out. Yeah, and like, like I almost have flashbacks right here of like Supergirl. When, mm-hmm. like, Supergirl arrives at Earth and the first people she encounters are some horny truck drivers that want a gangbanger. Like, that's kind of what Elvira has here. Um, these guys ask for a blowjob and all this. Like, they just expect her to be some kind of slut just because she's, like, some weirdo with a giant chest, you know? Yeah. 
and I don't know about you, but like maybe this is just like whatever. But like I always thought the little dagger was cool on Elvira's, Elvira's belt, and I like mm-hmm. that they set it up, even though it was a it was like a you know like a prop dagger or whatever. It didn't mm-hmm. really hurt the guy. Like I like that they actually set up that it was like a real thing she could take off and use. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not just part of a belt buckle. You mentioned that those guys just assume she's a slut, and I mean, we should say in this day and age of like you know all this, like you said, Me Too and the and the feminist movement, we should point out how, um, if, especially for the time, it's, it's not talked enough. I think about the character. I think it would probably, if Elvira was more of a thing now, you'd hear it discussed more. But like the right kind of sex positive feminist icon, right? And that right. she is very sexual, and she's always looking for sex and talking about it. But you, you're right. She doesn't just sleep with any man, right? Mm. She definitely says no. It, uh, and, you know, it's kind of all about her choice. And uh, I don't know. I think Elvira's a pretty decent role model, actually. I am, too. And, you know, it's kind of funny that you bring up the whole feminism thing. Because, like, I actually like bringing that up with these older movies. Because I feel like a lot of the younger generation, you know, with everything that's in the headlines, they kind of forget that, like, this has been a thing. Like, this isn't anything new, like, in terms of women standing up and, you know, uh, in terms of media trying to put um, positive, you know, portrayals and whatever. And whereas mm-hmm. I think now it sways a little more towards some movies kind of, like, overcorrect and make every woman in the movie, like, positive. And I think this is probably, like, you know, obviously uh, Cassandra Peterson's involvement in this movie and having a huge hand in the story and whatever. I like the fact that, like, you know you have her and like who she is in the movie and all her ways that we're talking about, you know, and her attitudes, attitudes towards sex and whatever. And then you also have like Edie McClurg, who's like the complete uptight, like, you know, church mom and stuff. And then you also have like the other character, um, the, the kind of like stuck in the fifties, prissy kind of prude girl who, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, is kind of like lording over. So like, I like that, like, in this movie, like, you have Elvira, who's kind of, like, the individualist weirdo, whatever, but she also has female enemies who, like, you know, in a lot of ways, like, the the females in this movie really kind of represent, like, the, the I guess, the traditional norms of society and the type of people who yeah. would judge somebody like Elvira, if, you know? Yeah. Now, one thing that I want to point out about the, so we have uh, here's our you know our our love interest of the film Bob played by Daniel Green who in every aspect all you can really say from him is is the representative of the '80s hunk right yeah. <laughs> like that's that's kind of all this guy is and uh, he's not a very interesting character he's just kind of he's there to be a hunk you know and. Yeah. I, and, and I don't know if you ever saw the the pilot for the Elvira sitcom that, fought, that never got picked up no. that followed a few years later. So it's actually – you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Uh, I, I think it's fairly uh, enjoyable. It's got um, – uh, it was made for CBS and you know, there's a whole backstory of like what happened with it, why it didn't go anywhere. But she plays like uh, – she moves in with her aunt who's a witch. Um, and uh, – she also in that is kind of pining after this kind of very similar character, just like this kind of hunky guy. And that's kind of interesting to me because that's such an 80s thing, right? That that's like the love interest. Because I feel right. like that's the one thing that kind of doesn't feel like it jives with the Elvira character in a way. I guess it does because she's supposed to be a valley girl. But I feel like if Elvira was kind of reconceived today, I feel like it would be more natural to have her kind of always go for the outsider kind of guys. You know, like yeah. that's who you'd think that she would be attracted to. And like uh, She would be attracted to Omar Doom and his spider web tattoo on his elbow from Death Proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And maybe that's just me saying that because, you know, the outsiders are the guys who like Elvira and watching it. So you'd think that they'd give you like some hope for scoring with Elvira right, right. and that you don't have to look like, uh, you know, Bob does. But, yeah. but what do I know? But but also I think it's funny, too, because like you said, they definitely add a complete ditzy element to Elvira. I mean, that's just part of the character, like to the point where she accidentally blew up the gas station in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's like. But Bob kind of has that too. He's kind of like a simpleton too. So like almost in a weird way, it's it like I don't know. They almost like um, you know have a, a camaraderie there as, as kind of you know respective male and female bimbos. You know what I mean? Yeah, bimbo and himbo. Yeah, yeah, bimbo and himbo. But uh, just jumping back for a second, um, I thought it was interesting that the. Um, the the they'll come back into play in a little bit, but the little group of horny teen boys that kind of follow uh, Elvira around. I thought it was mm-hmm. cool that they got the 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 nerdy wheelchair guy from Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street three. I always liked that the guy. wizard. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a unique of really his voice is what does it, but also mm-hmm. just his appearance. He always stands out. Yeah, I don't know if he does horror conventions, but that's the kind of guy who like he should, right? Because I would, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily pay for his autograph or anything, but I would certainly shake his hand and be like, "Hey, that's pretty cool that you were in Dream Warriors and Elvira Misses the Dark." You know, that's that's more than I can say. Exactly. <laughs> so. I'm I'm blanking on um, the uh, the 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 guy here who plays the evil uncle. What do we know him from? Uh, so he's, it's William Morgan Shepard. Uh, right. Let me click, click on him here. He's he's uh, he's just one of those guys who's kind of been around. He played a uh, Klingon commander in Star Trek VI. Ooh, he played Captain Whitwicky in Transformers. The in the in the flashback sequence. Oh yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> d- d- I mean, no offense to this this gentleman, but he was pretty elderly looking in 1988, and he's still rocking it yeah, in the mid 2000s. I mean, born in 1932, and yeah, oh. he's he's still. He made a movie last year, so oh no, he made a short last year, but still he was on the Librarians in 2016. So yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's still still, still going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 1930s guys, man, they like to stay around. Mm-hmm. So so you kind of have your your running gag of um, you know what what you got going on with the uh, the the Elvira pitches. I'm gonna introduce my own running gag here. I actually have a list. Of Netflix's 13 most rented horror movies of all time ever since Netflix has been invented. And it's a pretty bizarre list. Um, there's 13. I'll just go ahead and, and knock one out of the park right now. Uh, number 13 is actually... I don't know if you're familiar with this movie, Trevor, but it's actually The Right. And it's a very... Um, I don't know if it's obscure because it came out like in theaters and stuff. But it was pretty much like not a hit movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one where I believe Anthony Hopkins plays a, like a priest in possession. Oh, that, that movie. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So the right number thirteen most rented horror movie on Netflix from the year twenty eleven. What? Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. So all right, we're off to a great start on that. Uh, yeah, we are. But I always feel like, and obviously the Netflix list, you know, it's going to be a little skewed towards newer movies and maybe not classics. Although uh, it's not on the list, I don't think. But uh, I do know for a fact the very first DVD ever rented from Netflix was actually Beetlejuice. So that's kind of hmm. interesting. I also think there's something to say, like, well, I was trying to think of why it might be something like The Right. And you wonder if, like, 
you know, the really popular horror films maybe don't get rented as much because everyone's like, yeah, I will just buy that or yeah. something, you know, and the, the right is more something like well, no one's going to go out to buy the right. So there's probably more of a curiosity factor of, right. well, let's just rent that and see what it's like, you know. Yeah. And it, it fell within the time frame of Netflix being around, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it makes sense. Newer movies are probably going to get rented more through them. But uh, I found that was interesting. And I also found it interesting that a 2011 movie like like kind of middle of the road movie like that would be high on the list because i would have thought and obviously i'm wrong but because the list prove otherwise but i would have thought 2011 people are already kind of slowly starting to abandon the uh the physical media train but i guess not at that point yeah boy you look at this uh this is a guy I was talking about in the back uh the uh what's his name i already forgot because uh, he's not conway <laughs> frank yeah. collison yeah frank. he's kind of this time period's adam driver isn't he look at oh him. he is i mean i could definitely see him if uh you know straight out of college steven soderbergh would have jumped right to logan lucky he would have <laughs> <laughs> he would have casted him for sure well this was definitely the time of just like you, these like all these character actors who popped these films are just because they looked interesting right interesting faces were what you were looking for and yeah for sure and i have to say like i mean obviously we we kind of had it with the town and stuff um you know getting into the back lot feel but now with this this in- interior of this mansion you know this um and this house is um you know, we definitely get the Universal Studios whatever feeling here. But I don't know if you mm-hmm. noticed, Trev, um, but this house is actually was the house that was used as a spooky house in the Burbs. Okay, I was just, you know, what's funny is I was just about to say it looks like that house because you were talking about sets and everything, and the fact that it's the exact one is like yeah. it makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, and like later, you know, they did a bunch of revamping and stuff. You know, I don't know about all the different little rooms and stuff, but I know the basic house. Is mm-hmm. that one? And uh, later they um, they redid the outside like a lot, and it became one of the main houses for Desperate Housewives. So yeah, I knew that. I knew that that was Mysteria Lane. Or, yeah. So. so unfortunately, you know, the, like the house doesn't really exist the way we know it from Elvira and from the Burbs mm-hmm. still. But well, they certainly couldn't have left it the way it was in Elvira, as we'll see later. The paint job it gets, you know. Oh but... yeah. <laughs> I will advocate, so those who are watching this movie along with us, or maybe, you know, we're inspiring you to actually watch the film. So I, I'm going to, this is going to sound silly, because here I am advocating for a character that's been around for decades now and has proved to be very popular and long-lasting. Right. But I still maintain that Cassandra Peterson doesn't get enough credit. Like, no matter how popular she is, I, there's a lot of things I don't think she gets enough credit for, just in terms of her skills as a performer. And I will say, when you watch this movie, if if you can pull your eyes away from her chest, and to be fair, the movie's not making that easy. Like, no, they definitely want you to look at her chest yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. But just watch her face, like, during the whole movie. Her, I mean, she's a, a really skilled, like, comedian in terms of facial expressions and reactions. Like, she, she can get a, a good laugh just with her reactions to things and, and how she plays scenes. I think that you really see that kind of groundling background oh, where yeah. she knows how to sell a moment and is just a really skilled comedian. Yeah, and the um, the the uncle, what was his name, William Shepard, um, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, I I think the thing that's, like, really good about them two um, and their scenes and kind of, you know, once you get to the climax of the movie, I think they two, them two kind of have a good natural comedic timing where he's, like, you know, like, even this scene where she's, like, trying to sell him the house and sell him mm-hmm. on the whatever and he can't get the words out. Like, I mean, obviously you have rehearsals and you have a director and all this, you know, but, but I mean... It, I don't know. I, I think he was kind of like the perfect, you know, choice for this movie, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, the only person, and I don't know if he would have been down with the comic timing and stuff, but the only other person I could think who could, like, really be, you know, in this role and be iconic in a way is, like, if they could have got Christopher Lee, who was definitely available yeah. at the time. But yeah, but I don't know if he would have, you know, kind of had the same whatever that this guy has. Maybe Vincent Price. Yeah, I was thinking about Vincent Price, and I was trying to keep in my head, you know, kind of where he was at. You know, uh, age-wise at this point in time. He might have been too frail because there's actually a lot of physical stuff this guy has to do later. Maybe they're also worried he just wouldn't be able to control himself around Elvira. Have you ever seen the the famous uh, Tonight Show when Vincent Price was on with Elvira? No, and I haven't. <laughs> he's, he's, he's very clearly smitten by her, as you would be, yeah. I mean, of course, but, you know. And the way her character plays it, I mean, like, she seems like she she would welcome the compliments or the attention, you know what I mean? As, as long as, you know, it's within reason, of course. Okay, so now this is where we hit full-on Porky's mode here <laughs> with these teenage boys who later they, they become allies of, you know, Elvira, and they're shown to be, like, you know, kind of like the good whatever of the film, but... It, but at this point in time, they're really just trying to like look through a window and masturbate. Is really, yeah. yeah. Well, this you're like this is the era of Porky's. That doesn't you know at this point, being a peeping tom does not make you a bad person in an eighties no. comedy. You no. know, it's just this is kind of this is a rite of passage for teenage boys. Uh, at least that's what I was taught this time period. Yeah, so. sexual hijinks. And I, I mean, I gotta say, probably obviously all this originates from uh, the great Belushi scene in Animal House. But I mean, they're just. <laughs> So many movies. This, uh, what was it? I can't remember. I always get those names. Private School, the Matthew Modine film. There's a great peeping time. If I, I can't, I don't know if I'm remembering correctly, but I thought there was some peeping time shit in uh, Making the Grade as well, but I could be mistaken on that one. But yeah, I yeah. mean, definitely, you know, it was a hallmark of these 80s, you know. And uh, now I'm waiting to see once. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say th- th- this is one of the scenes where it's definitely pushing the PG 13, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see once I get this Blu ray, right? And get to see this in high def. And mm. I'm, this makes me sound like a pervert, right? But I'm making a point here. Yeah. Uh, you know, moments like that where we actually see her fairly disrobed. Uh, I don't know if you, you said you were reading some of her backstory the other day, but yes. one thing that's like not talked about a lot is uh, she had a very tragic accident when she was a, a young girl. When she was yeah. only one and a half. She accidentally pulled a, a, a pot of scalding hot water onto herself off the stove and ended up horribly burned over a lot of her body. And uh, it's something I didn't even realize until like reading about it later, but uh, when she's doing Elvira, sometimes it takes like two hours of makeup just to cover the scars. Right. Uh, because, and she said like the costume is kind of designed also to only show like parts of her body that, that the scars aren't very evident. Yeah. And so I, I kind of wonder if, you know, like maybe in high def, if you'll, not that I'm like, that's a weird thing to say to look for, <laughs> but I just wonder, you know, considering that they did have to put that much effort into, into covering those, those scars. Although I have seen her say that now, like as she's gotten older, she's just kind of accepted them and she's not as, she doesn't even try very hard to hide them anymore. But yeah, it's, it's weird because I, I have to say, like I've watched interviews with her, you know, out of character or whatever, and I've never noticed it. So mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, if it's just something she's always conscious of and always covering up, or yeah. But it, but I'm actually in a weird way. I'm kind of like you. Know, I'm kind of curious to see them, and like mm-hmm. it's almost more appropriate for the Elvira character in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, you know. 
And I mean, speaking as someone whose own arm is pretty scarred up from a skin grafts operation, you know, I certainly uh, think she could be our advocate, right? So, yeah, I mean, when uh, I mean, like, what really happens over the years after you get a skin graft? Does it does the skin ever like heal a little bit more, a little bit more as time, or is it kind of like once it kind of heals, you're kind of like what you have is what you get type thing. Yeah. I think once you're, once it's healed, it's pretty healed. But I mean, in the initial years after you get it, uh, it, it'll kind of like go towards a more skin tone color. You know, it's very, very red for a while. Then it kind of eventually kind of fades out. And now I have had, I mean, there's been some people I've worked with for months who actually have not noticed that my arm has this gigantic skin graft on it. So, a uh, little tip here, she's when she wakes up, so she just had a nightmare, uh, you know, kind of trope, horror trope. It was actually kind of, the moment with her going up the stairs was actually kind of stylistically directed with, like, the, yeah, the wind, say. like, yeah. blowing her robe up and everything. But uh, when she woke up, she is wearing an Elvis shirt, and I believe that's a nod to, again, Cassandra Peterson's amazing life. She briefly dated Elvis Presley in real life uh, as a teen. As a teen, yes. Yeah. Uh, he had he had just recently divorced Priscilla, and his re- his uh, rebound to that was to date a teenage Cassandra Peterson exactly. in Las so, Vegas. So hashtag whatever you want on that one, but at least it proves the king was not, you know, beauty was not skin deep with him. He saw past yeah. the scars. Yeah. But she has said that that was a very innocent relation, uh, a very innocent yeah. kind of relationship. Uh, whereas uh, according to her, she lost her virginity to Tom Jones. Really. Wow. Yeah, during her time as a Vegas showgirl. So, I guess it's not unusual. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so here we have the horny teen boys. Now they're the ally of uh, Elvira because she's trying to fix this old uh, mansion up to try to sell it because she needs some money. And like the the horny boys are you know helping her spackle and refinish and do whatever, and later on paint the house all bizarrely. But uh, they're actually. Um, charging like their classmates to come and work yeah. on the house so like people Still, are paying uh, them to do hard tom work. sawyer trick kind of you know yeah. if tom sawyer had a half naked horror hostess uh, also painting his fence <laughs> so yeah just a second ago we had the shot where elvira was like drinking the lemonade or whatever it was and pouring it you know dribbling it all over her boobs now to go further down the rabbit hole do you think that was part of her ditzy nature, like not realizing what she was doing. Or do you think, like, I mean, I always think maybe the character's savvy enough that she's doing things like that to get more and more teen boys to come work for free. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You could, it works either way because I don't. At a certain point, the movie kind of stops playing like she's flirting with these kids anymore because her attentions are just on the guy. Right. But uh, but yeah, I can see it either way. Yeah. So they paint the the house like a bunch of different probably 20 different kind of neon pastel colors different purples Mm. blues yellows whatever and like i mean it's like the legit deal and i don't know if they just kind of use fake paint that washed off afterwards or what but considering that obviously is a you know a universal backlot whatever you know house and a pretty famous one at that i just that blew me away. I was like, damn, like how much work did they have to do to kind of reverse that fucked up paint job? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if it wasn't obvious before, now I know it's if we are officially watching an, uh, an 80s comedy because Kurt Fuller just showed up playing a scumbag. Exactly. So. Kurt Fuller. Um, there's a, there's actually another great Kurt Fuller performance I, uh, I would like to uh, cover one day on this show through the Anthony Ed- Ed- Edwards uh, vehicle, Miracle Mile. Have you ever seen that uh, movie, Trev? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so there's some great fucking Mondo Bizarro shit that happens <laughs> at the uh, climax of that movie for sure. I love uh, I love Kurt Fuller. Uh, you know, and just again, he's just one of those actors who you're always happy to see because he kind of always plays the same thing, right? That kind of just standard piece of shit kind of character. But man, does he do it well. You know, there's a lot of quote-unquote bad movies that people like for nostalgia purposes. And I have to say, uh, this movie uh, called No Holds Barred that the WWF <laughs> yeah. made, I, yeah. that, that movie is not one of those for me. I think that movie's a complete piece of shit the whole way through, except for Kurt Fuller's like, yeah. awesome yeah. fucking scumbag performance. Yeah. But yeah, like like that. there we saw the, you know, the town, um, I guess the city council... They're like, everybody's all like in their, you know, uptight, like whatever religious ways. They're all like upset that this this freaky woman with giant breasts is in their town. And like, I have to say, like, I kind of miss like kind of like just goofy movies that have shit like that with like people being like all (laughs) up and up over, you know, like just like goofy shit. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. But here we go. Like then we, and this is definitely true. When we see this as true today, right? Exposing the hypocrisy of that, right? Where it's always the thing where yes, they say that they don't want this woman in their town, but really they just all want to bang her, right? And that's the thing. And, and so we see that with Kurt Fuller coming to the home now and just flat out, just basically just, I mean, just going for it, right? Molesting yeah. her essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and he goes rolling right out the front door. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she did some jujitsu on him or something we didn't get to see. Yeah, Elvira don't play that shit. And we haven't really talked about this dog at all yet. So let's Man, just gonk. Talk. Yeah, gunk. So it starts out as this little, like, poodle thing. And, of course, Elvira gives it a makeover. It was her grandma's dog. And she shaves him down and then gives him a pink mohawk and all this. And uh, this dog, like, through the first half of this movie, you really don't think much about it. But it becomes a giant... Uh, plot device like this dog is kind of like the deuces machina of this movie in a lot of ways and i don't think the dog i because like i said this movie seems to be setting a lot of pieces in place for the elvira character right because if you're going to get the budget to develop something you might as well use this you know and yeah. i don't think the, the dog never really ca- caught on as like a a permanent fixture to elvira but i will say the the car that elvira has in this became the elvira mobile um you know they, they they made the car for this film but then she actually was allowed to keep it right. and it's certainly something that sh- we should use again in later shows and stuff you'd see it you know she would drive it into the like, in the opening yeah. credits or something yeah and, and it's, it's it's appeared at conventions with her and things and i don't blame her for wanting to keep it it is a pretty bitchin car yeah for sure and yeah i mean there's no other use for it so I'm going to bust out number 12 on the list of Netflix. Uh, and this one actually does not surprise me whatsoever because I could see a lot of people, you know, there's a big whatever stir on this movie. And it actually came to video pretty quick after it was in theaters. But number 12 on the all-time uh, Netflix list is Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. That yeah, makes sense. Definitely see that. Not a favorite of mine, but I, I, nope. I get why it is the phenomenon it is. But yeah, yeah not, not one of my favorites. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, and I, you know, like, I, I almost feel like, um, you know, if we're going to be slightly critical of this movie, and it's not, it's not a slam because it's a fun movie trying to be fun, but like, like we had the montage of her trying to find a job to get money and stuff. And like, like I feel like um, kind of the big kind of first half of this movie is like kind of spinning in its wheels a little bit 
and like mm-hmm. you know we're finally like you know these two idiot imbeciles uh, that are working for the evil uncle they're at this house trying to find this evil book and even though that like is totally the plot is her evil uncle trying to get this magic book that belonged to her uh, grandma or aunt or whatever like i feel like storytelling wise it's totally downplayed in the first kind of half of the movie like did you get that feeling watching it or yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's definitely it, this is where you, what you said about it being an SNL film was, was kind of so accurate, right? Because a lot of the first parts movie really is like you get the feeling that they're like, wow, we actually someone gave us money to make an Elvira movie. Let's just like think of funny situations we can put Elvira in. Right. And uh, that can be done well, right? Like you you look at something like Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which you know systematically is there's this overriding thing about him looking for his bike, but really it's just him getting in different adventures. But I think maybe the problem here with this is, uh, and again, like I said, I, I enjoy the movie, but it's not a road trip, right? So yeah. maybe it would have been better if it was a road trip and you could put her in different things in different places. It, it might have worked a little better than having her just stuck in this one town. And it's kind of the same idea over and over of her interacting with very conservative people. And right. So, yeah, it gets to be like, yeah, OK, we get it. But but here's one of the better jokes in the movie. And this one is actually often done as a gif I've seen where. Uh, yeah. So he he drops uh so Bob is working he owns a theater and he's putting up the matinee letters and he drops them on her head. He comes down he says how's your head and she says well I haven't gotten any complaints yet and again that's <laughs> that's kind of a typical Elvira joke for sure exactly. And I always think it's interesting in these like movies where it's like it's always like the small town and it, unfortunately it's like that in real life and I really don't understand why it's like that in real life but it always seems like the movie theaters like barely hanging on like the one screen movie theaters barely hanging on it's like there's nothing to do in these towns like mm-hmm. why wouldn't you go to the movies you know what i mean like well she says he's showing bad movies you know so. yeah he needs a new uh theatrical booking agent or something mm-hmm. well that's what he's gonna get here in a second yeah and here we go the, the idea of her being dumb is definitely shown here where she doesn't even know how to spell matinee you right. actually tries to correct them but this is like one of the better visual jokes i think and again pushing boundaries of pg-13 quite a bit but uh yeah so she's taking the <laughs> what she thinks is the extra e off matinee and then yeah. she's going down the ladder she slips and she falls against the sign and hold, she's holding up the e but you only see like the top part of it like so it looks like it the uh the uh looks like an f so it looks mm-hmm. like it's saying uh what does it say learn how to fuck is that what it said yeah yeah, yeah. And so Edie McClurg sees that and, of course, just passes Thanks. out because it's just too much for her conservative sensibilities. Exactly. And obviously, like, I mean, I guess it could happen in some small towns, but I always like the back lot look of, like, how people just park their cars, mm-hmm. like, on the street, you know, in terms of businesses and stuff, and just Main Street USA and all that. And how the uncle, of course, his office just overlooks the entire town square, so right, he can see yeah. whatever Elvira's up to. He has a vantage point for it. I would actually really like to live, like, if this was, you know, you know, like, and I have seen some strips in some old towns and stuff that do kind of have almost this look, but if there was, like, a legit functioning one where, like, all the business and all this shit was, like, really in the center of a small town, I kind of would like to live in an area like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
So uh, another one of my Elvira movies uh, that I think like I would have loved to have seen and this one unfortunately could not happen anymore. Uh, but I mentioned him earlier, but I also think another crossover that would have worked very well is Ernest and Elvira. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, again, just two very similar characters in a way in that, you know, she was uh, just a local horror host who went national and then became you know, this kind of phenomenon. And Ernest was just a local commercial pitch man. Uh, Jim Varney was hired to just do some local commercials and they kind of caught on and they became a national uh, commercial spokesperson for various companies. And then somehow such a weird thing, right? The idea that a, a character that was just made for TV commercials was given a, a movie franchise. But, uh, but I think you and I have talked before about how we actually kind of appreciate Ernest. Oh um, yeah. Big time. There was a, I mean, it was very, very in vogue to mock Ernest films back in the day, but I mean, you go back yeah. and there's just like a, a, a nice, simple innocence to them. And he's a fun character for kids, I think. And, uh, again, I just, I, I could easily see those two characters kind of, you know, interacting. And so I think it's a shame that they didn't try a little harder to, to match Ernest up with other characters and rather than just give him his own things to do always. See, that was the problem, Trev. Back in 1988, they weren't thinking about cinematic universes enough. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe if this current fucked up way of uh, movie making thinking was, uh, you know, alive back then, we could have had these great crossovers. Mm-hmm. So here we have Elvira going, trying to get the uh, the kids of the town to come to uh, Bob's uh, movie theater where she's going to host a screening, basically play, you know, like a live in-person horror host. Mm-hmm. And um, the kids, like, they're all bummed because all their, like, th- like this is almost like a like a footloose situation, wouldn't you say? Where, like, like basically the parents mandate that, uh, you know, instead of dancing, they can't hang out with Elvira and her big boobs anymore because it's too immoral. Yeah. yeah. Because the dads just don't want to have competition, probably. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming. But ironically enough, like a lot of like the young teen girls really seem to look up to Elvira as well. So, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's that thing of like the outsider or the individual, you yeah. know, type personality in the conformist small town. I think that's what they're. Well, doing. yeah, as you said, they see her as like a representative of freedom, right? Like what right. exists outside of this sad town that we're just stuck in. Yeah. It's got a kind of a son-in-law vibe to it. Yeah, it really does. Like, son-in-law is like everybody had problems in a small farming town until Polly Shore showed up. <laughs> yeah, and once he taught them how to, like, you know, how to do the wheeze or whatever. Yeah, you know. Wheeze in the juice. Yeah. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Munch. All, all they needed was to learn to know that you don't call it eating, you call it munching on grindage. Yeah, munching on grindage. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like like when you when you watch Son in Law in this day and age, it, it kind of has a creepy vibe of like this guy who's been in college for ten years, hitting on this freshman girl the second she shows up in the dorm. Mm. So this yeah. is a pretty pretty funny speech she actually gives here, where she's talking about what's going to happen to her and just some like you know again it's simple comedy, but when she says you know just when people ask about me, just say two, just tell I sum up with two words. Uh, any two words, as long as they're good, you know, just like simple jokes like that. I like, yeah. And I have to say, except for like this one, the one kid who kind of has bags under his eyes, like, I think (laughs) they actually did a pretty good job of like getting actors who either were teens or at least look like teens for this movie. Yeah. Like the main female looks young. The, the wizard guy from Nightmare on the Street looks young. Yeah. There you have the, uh. What's her name? The prude watcher. Patty. Yeah. 
So yeah, so real quick before we jump on to some more hot Elvira talk. Number 11 on the Netflix all-time horror rented list is 28 weeks later. Not days, hmm. weeks later. Hmm. I found that one surprising. I actually prefer 28 weeks later. I don't know how where you fall on that, but I, I actually like that a little bit more than 28 days later. I'm not even ready to say it's necessarily a better film. I think it's just a little bit more propulsive and rewatchable because it's just a little yeah. bit more of a just standard action kind of a two bit but it's it's hard for me to say just because um at the time that 28 days later came out i was a huge huge fan saw it in theaters bought the dvd right away watched the shit out of it so it was almost by the time the sequel came out i was so attached to the original mm-hmm. you know it was hard for it to compete with me the original but I will say, after buying the Blu-rays, because uh, I only owned the first one on DVD for years and years, and then I bought the Blu-ray double pack, I have to say, it's it's kind of hard watching the original one now, because it looks so damn shitty. Yeah. Like, I don't have a problem with standard def, and I actually had a camera that was one of the cameras they shot that movie with so i know what footage looks like from that camera and that's not how that movie looks they fucked it up in post intentionally to try to give it a whatever look and it's well i was gonna say i i would i even think like 28 days later is one of those films that wasn't is not really benefited by putting being put in a high def like yeah it really highlights the rough well it, it really looks the same as the dvd i guess <laughs> it really looks like just just the same standard def shittiness you know but but no like i think the sequel and i've only seen it once or twice but i think the stuff that especially what the way they portray the robert carlisle character throughout the film (laughs) i think it's actually like an underrated movie and would be more of a zombie uh you know a contemporary zombie favorite if it wasn't a sequel if it was like you know just um you know whatever a movie that came out during that 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 modern zombie craze, you know. I think the sequel name actually kind of hurts its legacy more than it helps. Now, this is interesting. I definitely wanted to point this out. Go, and I don't think you're going to be surprised that I wanted to draw attention to this. So, you know, my favorite TV show of all time is Mystery Science Theater 3000, yep. which started in 1988. And I think a lot of times people kind of they point to Joel Hodgson and say, like, oh, Joel Hodgson, who created the show, he's the inventor of movie riffing. And, you know, sometimes two people have a great idea at the same time. And, you know, you just say, like, oh, that doesn't discount it one way or the other. But at the same time, he's, like, cooking that show up, obviously. We see this point here where Elvira's putting on this, this screening of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes uh, for this, for these kids in this theater. And what is she doing? She is actually riffing the movie. Right. And it's it's just flat out. Like, she's doing what riff tracks and what MST does today. And it's not, you know, and that's not, you might say, well, yeah, that's what a horror host does. But not exactly. Like, yeah, Zachary would occasionally insert himself into a scene here and there. But, I mean, typically the role of a horror host is to come on during the commercial breaks. Uh, and even when you go see horror hosts, like, do, like, live presentations of films, they'll introduce the film, then stop the film a couple times and come out and do some skits, I think. But the idea of her actually standing on stage the entire movie and making fun yeah. of it is, is just kind of unique. Because I was like, oh, wow, look, this is kind of like a, a preceding that, that whole MST riffing vibe. So Exactly. Now, by the way, I do want to say to Elvira, I, look, Elvira, I love you, but why you think this is an appropriate stage show for an audience of teenagers? I know. Uh, we might need to have a discussion about this. She basically does a bouncy boob rendition of flash dance. You know what I mean? Mm. And obviously we have a uh, a dance double here for a lot of yeah. these moves, but still. 
I, I, I love the triple repeated shot there. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. What, what do you think it is? And I remember it as being an iconic movie and stuff, but what do you think it is that Flashdance is still referenced to this day, Trev? Isn't it kind of to strike you as kind of odd? It's a thing, too, where it's just that shot that's referenced, right? right. Nobody, You can't find anyone nowadays to tell you what Flashdance is about. Yeah. Or, like, most people won't even remember Jennifer Beale's name. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, so, obviously, she was supposed to pull the bucket and have the water splash on her, just like Jennifer Beale's and... Uh, and uh, flash dance, but in- instead she got tarred and feathered by the uh, the prudess. Uh, I keep forgetting her name. What is it, Patty? Patty. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually surprised they didn't go the blood route as like a carry reference. Right. But... but yeah, this this the secret show that that they just had, you know, because they put on the marquee that it was closed, so nobody knew about it but patty did overhear the kids and everything at the bowling alley so but i that's why i kind of question like what was the point like she was so excited to put that show on and you kind of wonder like what was the point was she did the kids have to pay to get in like was that supposed to save his theater was it supposed to give her some money i think so i think it was like a like even though it's not really explicitly like whatever explained i think it definitely was like help you help me whatever Mm mm-hmm now here, here, here's the great line, and that, and I, I, I don't understand why this was all the, in all the trailers, but you know she scrubs and scrubs and to get the tar off, and they ask her what, you know, she walks in, and they're like, what's that smell? And she's like, unlead it. I don't understand why they thought that line would play like good in a trailer, like because it's, it's yeah, because you don't have the context, right? Yeah. yeah. I like how Elvira here instantly tries to get these kids to go home so she can bang Bob. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's, like, so she's sitting right next to Bob here. Oh, she's drinking beer. Fla- yeah. uh, what a great brand. Uh, and then hard cut here, and then, look, they're just suddenly completely apart on the couch. It seems right. like something went horribly wrong at some point during that movie. Yeah, Bob really is just, at first, he, he kind of play. they kind of play it like, um, I mean, I think he definitely likes Elvira for sure, but mm-hmm. they play it almost like at first, like he's clueless to her advances, but by this point in the movie, it's almost like he's afraid, you know? Yeah. It's like Bob is almost like, you know, the 37-year-old virgin or whatever. Yeah, because it's pretty made clear, if, if Elvira has a thing for you, you don't have to work hard at it, you no. know? Like, you, you, you're in, so. Yeah. Yeah, this is where she finally finds the book in the crack of the couch. So, like, let me do a quick timer count. We are 56 minutes into an hour and 36-minute movie, and Elvira finally has just now come upon what will be, like, the main plot point of the movie, basically. (laughs) And even then, it's unwittingly. She still doesn't really understand what it is or its importance, so. Yeah. But I have to say, really... I mean, to be fair, like... No, I was just going to say, this. from this point on is where, you know, what I was saying before is where I feel like we finally start to get into the real meat of the movie and the plot and, you know. Well, yeah, and I, and I was going to say, and I don't I don't even mean this as a negative thing, because I think you and I would agree that it's it's what leads, leads to the charm of a lot of the films we like. But uh, that's kind of what happens when you ask people who've never written a movie before to write a movie, you know, like, so here's these people who just are used to writing this character for skits on a TV show. And then you go, hey, here's a budget make a three-act structure now and and they kind of come up with something like this and then you look at something like uh another film will well i believe you and i will eventually cover uh david burns true stories you know where it's just like hey do you know how to make a movie no well go make one anyways you know and sometimes that ends up with 
you know, the the plot isn't what you'd typically call a very effective, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Sid Field three act structure or anything. But it, you still get some interesting stuff coming out of it. And I mean, you know, when you are being entertained by comedy, and I would argue that the comedic efforts of this film are pretty, you know, they're pretty enjoyable. They're pretty, mm-hmm. you know, even laugh out loud funny sometimes. But like, I kind of feel like you want to at least kind of feel like you're early on or especially towards the midpoint of the movie. You kind of want to feel more like even if you don't know exactly where it's going, you want to feel like there there is a direction or you're in good hands with the storytelling. And this movie, like, that's really my only criticism at all, is, like, it takes so long to get... Not necessarily that it takes so long to get to the meat of the plot, but it gets so long to let you even know that there's really a meat of a plot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Speaking of meat, that's about as disgusting oh, of a dish God. as I've ever seen. I'm not kidding you, like, when I was watching this the other night, especially on the, you know, watching on a big TV, and you just see that close-up of that nasty festering pot, you're kind of just like, and the the, the steam is coming out, and she tries to make it look a little better by putting cheese whiz on it, and that that actually kind of made it even grosser to to me. Yeah, although I was just thinking, too, like, cheese whiz is such an 80s thing, right? Like, whenever I see cheese whiz, I I think of, like, oh, we must be watching, like, an 80s movie. Not that cheese whiz isn't around anymore, but I feel like cheese whiz had a a moment in the 80s, for sure. And I, I thought it was interesting, those chips that she had. I, I was surprised how modern that chip bag looked. Because, like, whenever you buy, like, kettle chips and shit, they look still Yeah, it exact- kind of looked like that, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looked just like that type of bag. Now, this is obviously a great trailer shot. And th- that that's another reason this being so focused in the trailer is why I thought there was going to be magical shenanigans, like, all over this movie. But when you see <laughs> it, it really is, you know, for mm-hmm. the, the third act, pretty much. But she goes to, uh, you know, serve the the pot of stuff. And now keep in mind, when she was cooking this, the ingredients were like live worms and shit. So, I mean, she knew, you know. Yeah. This is pretty uh, But here we have a great, I'm just guessing, I'm going to go and say this is pretty much like just a straight up hand puppet, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's really good. I mean, it's articulated. And of course, I have a vague memory. Don't hold this against me, listeners, because keep in mind, I would have been either seven or eight when this was coming out. But I have a vague memory of finding this kind of scary as a little kid, actually. Yeah, it's definitely in the gremlins like camp of like trying to control this thing. I was impressed here. Like, obviously, when it when it was on the um, the table, I'm sure there was a guy with a hole in the table. But when they they you actually saw them dump it out into mm-hmm. the thing and you saw the full thing came out and it looked like it was moving while it came out it wasn't like just a stiff puppet that they dumped into the sink you know so like i was actually pleasantly uh impressed there and i gotta say that you know thankfully we do have even though it will be region b and we'll have to import it and all that kind of stuff i have to say this dvd for as damn ancient as it is i thought it was going to look way worse than it did when I watch it, it actually, as a DVD, as a whatever, 15-year-old DVD transferred, it actually isn't that terrible. Yeah, it's all right. I've definitely seen way worse. So here, yeah, Gonk the dog steals the book, and they have to chase him or her. I'm not sure if it's a boy or a girl. Up, up the stairs. I think I think they you know because like the stuff was good you know that dream sequence where she she uh, you know went up the stairs and all that I think they could have done a little bit more actually with this house now that I think about it Trev I think you could have made this a little more focused because you know there's so many backlot small town hijinks and all that mm-hmm. kind of shit I think you could have almost 
done this a little more in the style of House, you know, the William Cat film. Yeah. You know, it would have been like interesting to, to make it like because I mean we, you know, no spoilers. I'm assuming anybody listening to the show has seen this movie. Um, but uh, I mean, this movie goes full on demonic magic, everything in the third act, and I don't think it would have really hurt it to have more of like you know, kind of how she had that dream sequence. I don't think it would have hurt to have more spooky stuff. I think you could have played that, and they totally don't really like address it at all. But I think you could have played like this horror hostess. Uh, running into real evil, real magic. Like I think you could have got a little more mileage out of that, you know, comedically, dramatically, whatever. I think it would have been a little more of an interesting wrinkle than just. Yeah, I just wonder if that was was it just a budgetary concern for them, or was it that you know, at the end of the day, when they were making their first movie with this character, that they were just going to default on her more comedic background than the horror aspect of it? Yeah. Because you definitely could have gotten, you know, some great borderline uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman type gags out of, you know what I mean? Like, like ghosts and demons. Because, and, I mean, her her uh, grandma or, or aunt or whoever it was that she inherited this house from was definitely spent a whole lifetime being up to some uh, witch's magic, you know? Well, they even like so. This isn't this isn't actually one of my pitches, but the fact that you just said it reminds me of something I thought of before. Is I think like another thing that I, I w- wish we could have seen is a movie with Elvira kind of interacting with those classic monsters, right? Because that's when you know. So the except for the most recent iteration of Elvira's movie Macabre, which was done for Hulu and was her hosting a more modern Full Moon movies. Uh, typically, you know, whenever she's resurrected the show and brought it back, it's always been her hosting old horror films you know and obviously there's a reason for that horror hosts usually deal with those because they're public domain um but i mean i've also read interviews with cassandra peterson where she talks about she's not a fan of gore she's not a fan of like modern horror films she likes the old school horror films that's what she actually likes to host because that's what she prefers and i think the elvira character it would be fun to see that character interact with dracula and frankenstein's monster and the wolfman and just to kind of put her in that position um I'm sure she would make a joke out of putting her in that position, but I don't have her here to punch up my material. So, <laughs> exactly. uh, but yeah, I think that'd be a fun one too, to kind of have her interact in that. Cause like, you're right. It's, it's cool. They gave her like this original story here with witches and warlocks, but I think maybe they missed the, the opportunity to give her like a more traditional horror setting. Yeah. And, uh, they will say that's what they kind of attempted with this, the second Elvira film that came years later. And I don't know if you saw that. It definitely flew way more under the radar. I think no, it was I never straight saw to it. Video. Yeah. Um, Elvira's Haunted Hills. So I own it. And, uh, you know, I'm like I said, I'm a huge Elvira nut. And I, I kind of enjoy it. It's it's That one is trying to take Elvira and put her into a hammer kind of setting, like a, like a gothic mm. old school. You know, it's a period piece. And it's putting her back in the day and, like, you know, the old misty castles and everything. Um, it's most notable for... Uh, the kind of villain in that is played by Richard O'Brien of Rocky Horror Picture Show, who, uh, you know, has a presence I always like as well. Um, but that one, I think, is a definitely for Elvira completists only. I think you could show this film to someone who doesn't care that much about the character and they could get some enjoyment out of it. But I think Elvira's Haunted Hills you're only going to like if you are a dyed-in-the-wool, you know, Elvira supporter already. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I did read about that movie briefly and see it on the list. Roughly, how many years after this did that come out? I want well, I want to sell various haunted hills. It's like early two thousands. That's so. what I thought. I thought it was like yeah. a good twelve, thirteen years later. Yeah. And it's not like a sequel or anything, because like I said, it's it's what it, yeah, it's two thousand one. It's it's like I said, that's why I'm pitching these other. Well, not pitching because no one's going to listen to me, but it's why I'm saying that. They, 
they, they missed an opportunity because it's, it's doing what they should have done with this character. If it's that it is that earnest or, you know, Medea th- idea of like, take this character and put them in different scenarios, but don't have them be direct sequels to one another. Right. Yeah. There we had the flashback to her being dropped off of the orphanage of when she was young and this magic ring that she's always had. And we find out later that the dog that dropped her off was actually gonk. He just, I guess he's just an eternal, not mm-hmm. even a dog. Cause later he'll turn into a rat. We'll get to that. But yeah. Yeah. But, um, here we have the morality picnic, and uh, now that Elvira has, you know, can cast spells and specifically make food that has spells in it, we get some more hijinks. And like, I mean, I guess it's important to the plot to get the uh, the townspeople to embarrass themselves here. But uh, yeah, this is uh, just more hijinks, and this is where I really was like, damn, this is PG thirteen. This this gets into some. I mean, it's cleaned up. Don't get me wrong, but just the concept behind it is pretty damn raunchy. I think. Yeah, I mean, Eddie McClurg flat out sits on a guy's face. Yeah, know, rides. So. Up. I mean, you see it pretty much happen too. I mean, fully clothed, mm-hmm. but the Tic Tac pie that was gross. Yeah. <laughs> Some old lady made a, basically a chocolate cream pie and topped it with Tic Tacs. I don't think we even mentioned that the, the name of the town even is Falwell, which is, of course, a reference yeah, to Jerry right. Falwell. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, definitely. So since we're running out of Elvira room here, and I'm going to stick it up a notch, I have another shocking entry on the Netflix most rented horror list, Trev. Sure, go for it. Clocking in at number 10, The Haunting in Connecticut. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, it, it, okay. The list is going to get a little better here in the next couple of entries, but yeah, that was another shocker on the list for me. Mm-hmm. Didn't that spin off like a franchise that was like different yeah. locations, Honey like, in right? Georgia, and all this? Shit. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. it did. Yeah. Um, they were all direct to video. That one, I actually have a weird relationship with that movie. I actually want to see the rest of it. I went to see it in a packed theater. And it was like kind of the bad kind of pack theater, where it was just it was PG thirteen movie, it was just a bunch of young people talking. So I actually moved seats like three times, and, and every time I moved, I just everybody was talking. There was no escape from it, and it was a very quiet movie, which is like you know what that's like, you know. Mm-hmm. So I halfway through, I had to go out and just be like, listen, I can't finish watching this movie. Nobody will shut up in here. So I got some passes to come back another time, but I. Eventually, I used the passes for some other movie, but I never came back and see it. But I actually legitimately would like to see it because it has that Kyle Gallner guy who was in a bunch of horror movies, and then yeah. I think Virginia Madsen is the mom. It did from what I saw, and granted, I saw it in a bad experience. It didn't look seem very good, but it's just one of those weird curiosities because it's it's one of the few movies I walked out of in the theater. You know, not because it was bad, but you know, I'm just always curious, uh, you know, how it ends or if it's any good. Okay, yeah, here we have Patty and Kurt Fuller, and there's a hot dog in a taco shell gag. Again, this is this is filthy. <laughs> so basically, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's Elvira's Chili that makes everybody horny. It has a horny smell. And I mean, we're talking mostly at this picnic. It's like mostly, I'd say, people ranging age mid to late 40s to early 70s. Like, yeah, and pretty much an orgy, and I just couldn't imagine how embarrassing or weird it would be trying to direct this scene 
for like especially the wide shots where all these old people are kind of like groping each other in the background and whatnot. So it's like thank God that none of the teenagers there ate this chili apparently, or else yeah. we'd have like just teenagers just boning all these old people. Exactly. So I mean, you know, like this movie's all about showing it or whatever. Like when I was watching this movie the other day, like, what do you think it is with the Elvira costume that keeps everything in place, that keeps it from popping out? Is Ooh, it... a lot of a lot of glue and tape, I'm sure. Yeah, because it's 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 yeah, it's just like even when she's running full on, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of movement going on, but uh, thankfully no, mm-hmm. or unthankfully I should say, no wardrobe malfunctions. Well, yeah, it's because you you were talking earlier about how you know she still looks amazing today, which she does. I mean, oh, she yeah. she doesn't she doesn't put on the costume very often anymore. Mm-hmm. She's definitely she's definitely phasing out of it more and more each year. And I think I I, I really think we're seeing you know the end of Elvira at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, she she quit doing her annual Knott's Berry Farm Halloween show that she was doing every year for a long time, and uh, she's not doing as many conventions in the costume. She appears as Cassandra Peterson more often. Uh, and I know, you know, one of the things she's talked about is the reason she wants to kind of stop. Is she just feels like, well, you know, I, I'm just getting older and I, it, it doesn't it doesn't look the same when I'm in that costume. But I think you and I have even talked about this before. Oh, I where I, not only do I disagree, but I also think at this point she's just like she's she's naturally beautiful anyways. I think she's earned the right. And I don't think anyone would care to just do a more modest version of the costume anyways. Like oh, yeah. I, just, I, could I just cover. I mean, I, I, I definitely understand a, a, a grown woman would not want to be dressing like this all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think like you, we could accept a, a different version of Elvira, which is you know not as cleavage based, and I would just want I would just be happy to see the character a little bit more. Ooh, I will say this moment right here is one of this is one of the few moments where I kind of felt a little strange and like my modern day liberal sensibilities kicked in, where mm. this is a little bit of like body shaming humor, oh, right? Big time, huge. Yeah. Talk about politically yeah. incorrect and then some. So mm-hmm. basically, basically, yeah, you have it where Elvira punches Patty out, and somehow. Patty's basically clothes get ripped off, which reveal that she is completely flat chested and she's been stuffing her bra this whole day. Because Patty was kind of like the town hottie or harlot or however you want to put it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like Elvira, that's why she hates Elvira so much, is Elvira kind of, you know, uh, stole her thunder as far as being the town you know, beauty queen or whatever. And, like, yeah, it basically, you know, because so much of, like, whatever, everybody just loving Elvira is obviously, you know, her insane cleavage. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, not even, like, liberal feminist views, just just on a, like, a whatever, you know, watching this as a fun movie. I'm kind of with you just in terms of the other night. I was like, ooh, that's a little too mean-spirited. Yeah. You know, when you're trying to make a fun, atmospheric-type movie. Yeah. No, yeah, but I definitely agree with you about her age means nothing, you know, in terms of playing this character and the way she looks. And, I mean, you know, obviously that's a lot of uh, literally decades of eating right, exercising right and stuff. But, uh, yeah, not that long ago, whatever, 2010, 2011, when she had that kind of last on-air incarnation of her show, Mm-hmm. That w- that was me and Phil Deez's like go to man uh, when we when we hung out and like for a while there like we had a good run of a year I'd say almost every other weekend I was over at his house getting drunk all day on Saturday filming hillbilly DVD reviews and then at night we would uh, watch Saturday Night Live and then the local whatever independent station 
you know, right after SNL went off, uh, another station had Elvira, and we would watch it, and we would just be sit there completely plastered, and just every week, man, week in, week out, we were just, we sit there, and just, we could not believe what she looked like, like, unbelievable, you're just like, how is this possible, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just saw, she just did a new video as Elvira, uh, promoting, like, the, uh, the Funko, like, Elvira cereal they just made so again oh, wow. like you know it's it's not very often that she puts it on anymore but it, like I said like even now when she does it you're like damn like it yeah. still looks amazing but I I mean I don't fault her for no. wanting to phase out of it uh it's just a shame that you know there's like you said the horror host thing kind of there's not there hasn't been you know a great uh heir apparent to take that role kind right. of but uh and I think part of that too is she just had so much longevity because her, her career actually got amazingly you know, off to, like, a start, like, at a very young age for her. So, I mean, yeah, Elvira's been around for decades and decades, but, like, even when she made this movie and the character had been around for a long time, she still was, like, really just in her, like, mid-30s when they made this movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's pretty great. Like, you can watch, you can see her talk about this in multiple interviews. The way she eventually got control of this character is is pretty cool, too, and, you know, it just shows a lot of business acumen and foresight for her to where, you know, when she created, like, when this character was first created, it was obviously owned by the, the local station. And they just, you know, basically they needed a new horror host and they she's the one who won out uh, with this idea. And eventually it was supposed to be more of a vampire based character because vampire, the original vampire was actually working on the show. And then she walked off when they wouldn't choose the actress she wanted. And then they brought in Elvira and their decision was, well, we want you to look like Vampire, but we want you to do something different. Right. And that's when she just kind of she had actually been playing the what the personality of Elvira was a very popular character she was doing in Groundling stage shows, but just more of this traditional valley girl. And she's like, well, I'll just merge the two. Um, but anyway, so like this, the station owned the character, though. But what she started to do is every time her contract came up, she would be like, okay, well, you guys can own the character, but can I own the rights just to, like, public appearances? And they'd be like, oh, all right, that's fine, because they didn't think they had anything. Right. And then the next time she'd be like, well, can I own the merchandise rights? And she eventually just kept doing that over and over again until eventually she had everything. Right. And and nowadays she has complete control of this character, and it's it's definitely, you know, I'm, I'm not saying she's one of the richest people in the world, but I'm, I'm fairly sure she's pretty wealthy because this, is, this oh, yeah. has been a very heavily merchandised and branded character over the years. So, I mean, the the fact that she does have control means that she can pursue probably more opportunities to, you know, either license a character or make more appearances where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, the opposite of that would be would be the WWE empire where those guys don't own shit. And once, yeah. once Vince kicks them out, they're kind of screwed. You know what I mean? And that's the only reason why I say I wish it had taken off just a little bit more for her in terms of in terms of movies. Uh, boy, this guy also this priest just really getting a handful yeah, there, groping the hell, or you know, which I don't understand because she's not a little boy. So, <laughs> but speaking of that, speaking of uh, horror hosting and and saying she, I wish she had more movies. The uh, another Elvira film I wish had happened. Uh, and this is kind of a double barreled shotgun for me because I love Elvira. And then as we've talked on here before, the other horror host I love is Joe Bob Briggs. Oh yeah. And Joe Bob Briggs is also a character. John Bloom plays the character of Joe Bob Briggs and that never kind of, I mean, Joe Bob Briggs, I think is probably the other most notable horror host of this time period for sure, but he never got a movie. And I think it would be. I think it would be actually been cool if you could have done a film with the two of those characters and maybe even more. And I was thinking it would have been neat if you got some other horror hosts, maybe even like regional ones and just different or maybe even make up some whatever. 
but maybe a horror film set at a horror host like convention. Uh, so you could have Elvira and Joe Bob Briggs and others kind of interacting and actually fighting like actual, you know, supernatural creatures that they don't think are real because they're just horror hosts. You know, very much the Peter Vincent Fright Night kind of thing. But with the horror hosts, we actually all know and love. And just to just to allow that Joe Bob character to also have like, a you know, a moment in the spotlight. Yeah, you can definitely make something in the vein of my name is Bruce, but actually make it good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this is what I'm talking about when I talk about the last chunk of the movie that I just love and where, the you know, this movie goes from just being kind of a fun whatever romp where we get to, you know, visually oogle Elvira to the, like, this. I really start liking stylistically in every way, the way this is shot and kind of classically all the burning at the stake parts and stuff. And I kind of wish the movie mm-hmm. was kind of like more stuff like this, you know, the classic horror scenes, but with her putting the Elvira spin on it, you know. Number nine on the Netflix most rented horror movies of all time. This one actually is not a surprise, and I'm happy to see it on here. Number nine is Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so here she has uh, pretty much, you know, and I, li- I like that they kind of like fake you out here with Patty being like, you know, you think for a second she's going to be like, you can't do this. But she's like, no, actually, you need to set the fire in multiple places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, too, at this point in the movie, we've had Gronk running around as a transformed rat trying to, you know, free Bob. And, you know, we had a great rotoscope animation effect. I, I miss the day when, like, instead of CGI, you could just hand animate something into your movie. Like how they did the shadow of the rat turning into the dog and all that. Yeah. I like that quick cutaway shot of the the Girl Scouts like yeah. roasting marshmallows over the fire. I know. I will say maybe the only good thing to come out of that body shaming moment is it looks like now Patty has just accepted who she is. She is no longer. Yeah. yeah, so that's good, I guess. Yeah, and also too how we always talk about the the Pee Wee Herman like whatever like Patty definitely seems like a Pee Wee Herman character in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, so here here we have Patty, like, thinking she can get Bob back now that Elvira's going to be out of the picture because they're literally just burning her at the stake. But, uh, I don't know. I kind of liked, liked Bob a little more in this movie once he did kind of jump into the hero role. It's quite the escalation for this town, though, to just jump yeah. right into just burning a woman alive in the town square. I think a lot of that had all the shame that the fact that they basically all did wife swapping. You know, they were basically all roofied and raped by each other. So now that we have all this fire and this burning and stuff, I think this is a good time for me to say the number eight movie on the list of most rented horror films in Netflix has actually dragged me to hell, Trev. No, I'm, I support that. I'm sure you're not super thrilled. but <laughs> I'm just kind of surprised, but then again, I'm not, because I'm sure it, it was probably a hot rent, renter in the Netflix era. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so here we have Elvira. And now what did you, what did you think uh, of the kind of storytelling approach? So she remembered, you know, the whatever when she was a baby, the fact that she always had this ring. And, you know, now that she knows she comes from a magical witch heritage that the ring has power. And she gets free, and she shoot uses. I like. I thought it was cool, but like, I just thought it was weird that she, like she never knew that was a magic ring until the second she shot it in, you know, a laser beam or basically a lightning beam, I should say, into the sky and made it rain. Yeah, I, uh, it's fine. I mean, it's. I do think it kind of reminds me. 
let's bear with me for a moment here. When they did the uh, the Wet Hot American Summer show for Netflix, that was the like prequel show, you know, first day of camp. And they were kind of making fun of prequel tropes about how you – giving an origin to everything, right? Even things that don't need an origin. Right. And this really felt to me like that ring was already a part of the Elvira costume. You know, it's just something she always wore. And they were like sitting around being like, well, what does the ring mean? You know, and like you said, you point out the knife. And they're like, well, what should the knife be? And it's just like, okay, we don't we don't probably need every bit of her costume or whatever to have an explanation, you know. Right. But, <laughs> But uh, that's fine. I mean, it allows her to have some agency and, and to at least attempt to fight the uncle. So yeah, and and like I said, like this is just the part of the movie I love. With you know, the uncle shows up now that he has the magic book. He has all these demonic powers and becomes like a horror movie. With you know, the the town is scurrying around and like I mean, the, like to me, this is like really where the movie kind of you know, starts to get really wild and outrageous and kind of justify the whole idea and kind of prove what you could do with an Elvira movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would say this would actually make a good double feature with uh, Ernest Scared Stupid to meant to bring him back. Uh, except one is like so much a kid's movie. And this one, as we said, is actually pretty raunchy. But, yeah. You definitely but would have to do that thing where you played Ernest first and then put the kids to bed. <laughs> yeah. I do really like this joke here. It's just a kind of simple thing. Again, it makes me laugh of when she like kind of tries to go after him with the ring and accidentally just throws the ring to him. Yeah, it's it's a very Ash-esque yeah. scene. And like, and you know, if this movie would have been made a few years later, I would say that would definitely would have kind of been the inspiration. But I think it was just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. I don't think Evil Dead 2 at this point had really that big of a cult following. It just came no. out like a year earlier. Well, I guess it probably really came out at the time they were filming this. But yeah, I just love the, all the shit of the uncle being this old. And he is very subtle. Like, am, am I tripping out on this? But I'm pretty sure he, he has kind of like subtle facial prosthetics. Yeah, no, he starts to like kind of morph. And uh, oh, here we go. Now we we're talking earlier about when you know it's an 80s comedy when Kurt Fuller shows up. You also know it's an 80s comedy when there's they make fun of Rambo. Right. Elvira totally rips her dress apart to be half naked and put a red headband around her head. And she comes out of the army surplus store with the bazooka. I love that the army surplus store is apparently just selling a live bazooka, too. Yeah. And, of course, the bazooka had, like, no effect on him because he's a demon. Mm. But there actually is really good shots in all this, like some of the Dutch angles and stuff. Elvira versus Michael Myers would have been awesome. Yeah. I really like this, like when she runs through the little tiny graveyard <laughs> that's all filled with mist and smoke. I just love seeing her in the in the more like kind of classically set up horror shots. I don't know why. Well, I mean, because she definitely, that's where she fits, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But it's like, I mean, by no means would I say this movie was was poorly directed for the first two thirds of it. But I just love that now that we're kind of in the horror action comedy climax, I like the camera work is much more deliberate, a lot of more close ups. And the, it, like, I won't say it goes full on like Sam Raimi style, but it de- it definitely does take a notch up to be like that kind of heightened, you know, mm-hmm. bizarro feel. Here's another moment where I was just kind of surprised by the PG-13 rating. So she throws like her, uh, well, not her using her boobs to break the gate, but that's also a yeah. great moment and a, a gif I see a lot. 
But uh, she throws her high heel shoe at him, and it, it kind of implants in his head. And when he pulls right. it out, that's actually pretty gruesome, right? He's got that little trickle of blood coming out of the hole. Yeah, it's a, it's a legit gore wound with oozing mm-hmm. blood, yeah. I'll tell you what, the things were just, people were tougher back in the 80s. They could take yeah, it. Yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> so here we have attempted rape, what, number six of this movie, pretty much. <laughs> Jeff Conaway's hiding in the house. And uh, he, he he full on starts putting his finger down down her cleavage crack, and of course she's going to hit him in the face here with the slugs. And again, like a, a horrific moment, not played for laughs whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, in this PG thirteen film. So so I think this is a good time to bring up you know Jeff Conaway's you know being creepy in this house right here. It's a good time to bring up the number seven most rented horror movie on Netflix, and this is actually the remake. Of the last house on the left, hmm. I actually uh, quite like that movie. Um, I did too. I own it. I yeah. Know. I I mean, I I think the consensus, and I agree, is I the the very end is kind of unfortunate, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's a it's just a bad miscalculation in terms of how they how they kind of pull that ending off. But up until that point, I think it's like a really a really effective remake with some really good performances. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where. It retains the kind of nastiness of the spirit of the original. Now, this was a great gag mm-hmm. with her, with him reaching through the wall and the the axe falling down and chopping his hand off, and then him bursting through the wall again. This this is like some legit good horror kind of movie gags in this goofy mm-hmm. comedy, you know? Yeah. And again, I love it whenever you can. You know, he's spitting fire out, and I love it whenever you can just like use traditional animation as a special effect. I kind of wish somebody would do that nowadays in a movie just for, you know, you know, homage purposes or yeah. camp purposes cuz it is it is cool and fun looking. And then we get just a wooden plank to the balls joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, mix board. it up. Yeah. That was a strange edit right there. Yeah, I was going to say I noticed that when I was watching that night it was another triple edit of her and I, and I was just thinking was it just was it was it one of two things was it just she originally stabbed it a bunch of times and they were like hey we have to kind of like cut this together quicker or was it that she really only really stabbed it once and they're like we need a little more like show it yeah (laughs) i feel like it's probably that yeah so here she gets her magic ring back because you know she cut his hand off and all that um you know and and then we kind of have it kind of remind me of star wars in a way or something like how like Palpatine and Yoda like sit there and shoot their lightning at each other, you know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of with that moment there, where they're battling. And again, like we're dealing with some um, some uh, live fire for real, some live fire effects, and uh, you know Cassandra Peterson is near it, and uh, I had to think that would be emotionally or whatever just kind of dicey for a former burn victim, you know? What I, mean? I mean, she was burned by hot water, not flame, but Still, you know, you would think yeah. somebody who's, who has severe body scars would not want to be anywhere near that, you know. She's a pro. Yeah. Let me uh, let me show let me share uh, one more uh, movie idea here, and this is one out of any of the ones I've talked about so far. This is the one I'm really sad that this never happened, and it's another one where I just can't believe. It's it's amazing to me that this idea never popped with anybody in the 80s because uh, it would have been like the late 80s would have been the definite time to make this movie. So I'm going to pitch this kind of more traditionally. So picture an opening scene where you see two babies being born, fraternal twins being born. 
fraternal twin girls, and then they are separated at birth. And one is taken to a, like a farm in Iowa and raised, and the other is taken to a creepy Adams family-esque mansion and raised there. And they don't even know their sisters; they've never met. And then later in life, circumstances bring them together. The the twin who is taken to the creepy mansion is, of course, Elvira. And who is the farm one? Dolly Parton. Wow. <laughs> the fact that nobody ever thought to cast Dolly Parton and Elvira as kind of long lost twin sisters right. that have completely different upbringings is just like mind boggling to me because it's so perfect. That's actually kind of a stroke of genius. I got to admit, I'm impressed with that one. Yeah. yeah, if I start a movie studio, I might have to put you uh, in an executive uh, position of head of development. Yeah, and I was just like, they're just both so likable, right? Just such yeah. likable like performers, and they do have that same kind of big hair and big breasts, and you know, and this kind of sense of humor about it, and just seeing them getting shenanigans, like, man, that would probably be like that would I, if that movie had happened, it would certainly be a favorite of mine, I'm sure. I think I think I still would enjoy that even now if it happened. Yeah, no. I, I was almost even thinking, like, I'd be kind of down, like, because they, you know, maybe they, you know, Cassandra Peterson's not super thrilled about throwing on everything anymore or whatever, but I would even be willing now to do that as, like, an animated film with them just doing the voices, oh, yeah. you know. It would be funny. So here here we have the townspeople. It looks like they're showing up with pitchforks and whatever, you know, a classic Frankenstein style, whatever, to lynch Elvira. But they're actually all showing up with shovels and shit to help her rebuild her house that burned up. Yeah. You know, because they realize her evil uncle was actually the evil one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I think is funny here is that, you know, the town shows up to help her. And what does she do? She immediately ditches the town. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because now that her satanic uncle's dead and she was the only heir, she gets his money. Yeah, you're right. And I have to say, I mean, I get this is what she was working up to. But I kind of liked ending the movie on the note of the townspeople accepting her. Yeah. Like, like now we cut to Las Vegas and she had the money to put on her show and it's this big horror theme show. And this was like the only part of the movie where I kind of lost my patience for the Elvira stick. I got to be honest with you. Well, I just, this is again, like I, I let's like remind our listeners again, this is a PG 13 movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like this gets a pretty ridiculous here where I'm just like, eh. not that I'm opposed to seeing this. I'm no, I certainly enjoy all. it, but I mean like really like in a PG 13 and you're just, flat out going for this uh we got some full-on just like tassel waving and spinning and and i get you know cassandra peterson has experience as a vegas showgirl that's her background and she wants to like kind of you know have a nice homage and nod to that but yeah it's pretty extreme for what i guess was trying to be somewhat of a family film yeah it's kind of crazy and that that lets me segue into number six on the netflix uh, list of all-time rented horror movies and again, another remake coming here, Trev, with the remake of The Crazies. Oh, another one I like a lot. I like a lot. I actually watched it about a month ago. I really liked yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah, and this this dance model, there's just weird stuff, like, with her holding the tarantula up to the camera. It just, I, just, I mean, it's cool, don't get me wrong, but it's just... It, but this is the most cringeworthy part for me personally, where she, yeah. where she does the late '80s comedy rap that it, like even mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger got in on this act, didn't he? Yeah. Well, and she was putting out uh, albums at this time too. You know, there was okay. like Elvira vinyl albums, and she would mm-hmm. do like songs for them. And I'm pretty sure one of them has like an Elvira rap on it. So yeah, it was definitely something that everybody was kind of getting in on at that point. Yeah, really shitty. 
Not here good. we go. Like yeah, to end, a, to end her movie with just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally, she does the tassel trick where she has these kind of long tassels on each of her boobs, and she you know she shows that she can you know like swing them around one by one, one boob swinging, the other one not, not, and now she's doing the double thing where both are swinging, and this goes on for about a good thirty five seconds. When you say <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> And her manager is just so ecstatic, like, like, and they really play this moment up, like, this is like the height, like every, even the dog is going crazy barking, like, just this is what everybody really, you know. And I have to say, as much as like, you know, I'm in love with Elvira and all that, like, I like, I don't know, like, this really didn't do much for me. <laughs> well, I look, look, I, I have notes, right? Yeah. If you're talking about me being in charge of a studio, let me put on my my studio, my my producer hat here, and come in and say. If you're going to end the film this way and go with that 35 seconds of her just waving her tits around and, you know, yeah. like I said, what you should be doing is you should be cutting to the audience and the townspeople should be in the audience. Right. right. And like yeah. reacting and, and let us let us have one last moment with them where they're kind of like maybe embarrassed by this or like, ooh, yeah. really, this is what we came to see. Like at least connect this to, you know, like the happy ending we just saw with the townspeople, because as I said, it just kind of does feel weird that she just the, the end of the film is not her hanging out with the town that just accepted yeah. her it's her just ditching them for vegas it, so. it's literally just five minutes of um you know just her doing this this whatever tarty uh, vegas act you know mm-hmm. but it's just i don't know so number five on the list of most rented um horror movies from netflix and i was actually surprised not only to see this on the list but to see it um up so high because i always felt like this movie never had an audience at all and another one i interestedly just happened to watch a couple weeks ago number five on the list we have the awesome vampire film daybreakers starring ethan oh yeah that's another movie i like a lot yeah so as these credits roll uh i will share my last idea for elvira and this is the one that I, i honestly would like to see done right now and i think this would be a very fun swan song for Elvira. So if you were an Elvira fan like I am, you know, very much follows her career and kind of keeps track of her, you probably know that a few years ago she did a TV show called The Search for the Next Elvira. Yes. And the idea at that point was she really was trying to kind of like not quit as Elvira, but she wanted to kind of, you know, reduce her time. And she had the idea that maybe I could franchise Elvira. Maybe I could make it a character to where there's I go to like a convention in, say, New York, but someone else playing Elvira could go do something in California. And so that was the basis of this show. And it was about four episodes. And they have, they have ended up picking a, a, a pretty fun, like young actress named April Wallen. And April Wallen became this new Elvira. And she did like a she had a one year contract, I think, in this role. And she did a couple public appearances, but nothing really came of it. And uh, for a while, she was kind of billing herself on Facebook and other social media as as, uh, April Elvira. And just, you know, I think she was allowed to kind of use this character for a bit. But I don't think I, I would be shocked to find out that her and Cassandra Peterson stayed in much contact after that or anything. I think, you know, the rights just kind of went away. And years later, Elvira talked about, you know, she'd often be asked about that. And she said, well, it's something I tried, but it just turned out nobody really wanted Elvira if it wasn't me. You know, like I thought maybe I could franchise it, but nope, it's just I, that didn't work. So what I would like to see is a movie kind of a, like a, a final meta commentary on Elvira where it's actually Elvira as it is. You just do the same thing where you don't it's not Cassandra Peterson, it's Elvira, but she's getting ready to hang it up. But now you bring back April Wallen, who's just like bitter that she's never been allowed to be Elvira. 
And she kind of comes after her as the villain of the piece, like trying to kill her because the whole idea is if she dies and she can finally be Elvira. And that would obviously allow this kind of like final comment on like, no, I, there's only one Elvira and she gets to like win in the end, you know. But I think that also be like that'd be at least a nice consolation for April Wallen, right, who went through all that and never really got anything of it to yeah. at least get to play the heavy and like uh, the final Elvira piece, you know. Yeah, that whole competition was bizarre and I did see a little bit of it. Um, I can't remember where where did that air, Trev? That that reality show. I believe I want to say it was on something like Bravo or something. Yeah. Or maybe something even like less like like TV Guide channel or something, you know. Yeah. Like, it it was one of those weird like kind of fakey low level cable neckers. And I remember at the time watching it, you know, a little bit and kind of being like, Is this for real? Like is or is this kind of just an excuse to have a reality show, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, I guess there was some sort of follow up with, you know, trying to have the girl do it and whatever. But Yeah, I think she did some parades and some things, but not much. But I think that would just be a fun, like a fun idea for a movie, like a you know, a single white female kind of thing. Yeah, actually, yeah, it it would be cool. So that's the end of the movie. Kind of some sparse credits. I don't know if you noticed that, Trev, but there's some big gaps. (laughs) And some of that yeah. <laughs> were they trying to get I don't I mean the movie's 96 minutes they didn't really need to pad it out you know well but you didn't have to sit through you know f- five minutes of Korean animators so yeah that, that is true too so wrapping up the Netflix list here number four we have and this actually surprised me not only being on the list at all but being at number four but we have Red Riding Hood which oh, well, I, I've never seen that to this day um, I'm guessing that's the one with Amanda Seyfried, uh, directed yeah. by the lady who did the first Twilight. Yeah, I actually rented that. Um, I mean, I, I can't. It's not like an awful movie that's like hard to watch or anything. But when you watch it, Trev, you're kind of like, it's hard to believe somebody thought that there was like a market for this this version of the movie or this movie at all. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What's right? I remember actually being kind of interested at the time. Cause I actually am a fan of just red riding hood as a concept and a story. Yeah. Um, and I'm down for like, you know, adult retellings of it and stuff. But then I, I just remember hearing nothing, nothing that compelled me to go check it out. Once yeah. it was finally, it's just, it's just kind of there. You know what I mean? Number three, this actually doesn't surprise me at all because again, this was a huge hit, huge in the Netflix era of people renting movies through the mail. Number three, we have Zombieland. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Now, number two, uh, this is the last surprise on the list, but I have to say this shocked the hell out of me, Trev. And again, maybe it was just right place, right time, whatever, because this movie was pretty much a financial failure when it came out. And I'm surprised so many people rented it through Netflix. But number two, we have the uh, Benicio Del Toro version of The Wolfman. Oof! Wow. Yeah, and I just you know I I have to admit I I've I've not seen that since the theater and I remember not liking it, yeah. but I did listen to a podcast interview with Andrew Kevin Walker today, the screenwriter, and uh, he actually I mean like he he does not he never he's never seen the film he talks about how it was very much taken away from him and it's not the film he wrote, yeah. But just just hearing him talk about it and then hearing uh you know the host talk about his memories of the film kind of made me almost like maybe I should revisit that just to see if it's really as bad as I remember it being. But the yeah. thing is, I'm pretty sure it probably is. So yeah, I own a copy of it. Um, I got a gift of it as a, you know as a steel book whatever when it came out, 
And uh, I kind of flipped through it. I, I kind of enjoyed the movie when it came out, except for the ending where he faces off against the evil Anthony Hopkins werewolf. And I was just mm-hmm. like, this is just what, you know, it's gotten silly. But um, I, I wouldn't mind giving it a second watch because I do love Benicio Del Toro just in general. And I, I, I kind of find some novelty in him doing a Wolfman movie. If but, I'm going to watch two Wolfmen fight, it's not going to be Benicio Del Toro and Anthony Hopkins. It's going to be James Spader and Jack Nicholson. Thank you oh, very much. yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Maybe that was their inspiration to having him fight Anthony Hopkins. They're like, well, Anthony Hopkins isn't quite Jack Nicholson, but still, you know, it's pretty. <laughs> Ironically enough, that that being uh, the second movie on the list, uh, much like um, before where I had the Haunting in Connecticut with everybody talking in the theater, I did have uh, uh, some people talking in The Wolfman, and I did yell and tell them to shut the fuck up. But uh, again, as we as we discussed on past episodes, that, that that only lasts for a few minutes, then people just go right back to talking. And number yeah. one on the list, not surprising in the way that this is a popular movie, but I'm kind of surprised this is considered a horror movie. But it, I guess it is by Netflix standards or whatever. But still, number one, Trev, believe it or not, on the list of the most rented horror movies of all time on Netflix, it's actually Cloverfield. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Now I gotta ask you. You're not as a, uh, you know, much of a hardliner on classifying movies as Bird is, whether it's horror or not. But still, would you consider that a horror flick? I, I mean, I actually I wouldn't. But I mean, like you said, I I am I allow myself to be fairly liberal with that. Um, and I think those delineations can be silly and can be too restrictive. And and what I mean by that is like I don't consider that a horror. But I mean, if somebody if that's going to bring someone into being a horror fan or if a Cloverfield fan is going to come to a horror convention, then then more power to it. You know, and I think a lot of that genre adjacent stuff, I think I think genre fans just tend to like stuff in the horror genre and a little bit beyond that. Right. So mm-hmm. I think like those kaiju movies and kind of darker sci fi stuff fits into that as well. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to get worked up and argue with someone who wants to call Cloverfield a horror film, even though I would consider it more of a sci-fi movie. Right. Yeah. Same. And it does have people kind of blowing up and stuff in it, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is definitely a few tense moments, you know, mm-hmm. kind of hit the horror beats or whatever, but yeah, but you're right. I, I think in general, I think we should be, I think we should always be more lenient with the horror term and not be as, as like restrictive with yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. Cause you know, and we, I mean, we talked about this in the past, but horror definitely has its cycles of what's hot, what's not, what you know, and it's, yeah. Whenever you and can, also like what I was just gonna say, whenever you go can ahead, kind yeah. of bend the rules a little bit and open the world up, you know, I think it's good. Yeah, and also what you consider horrifying is not necessarily what someone else considers horrifying, you know. Right. So your your horror movie might not be a horror movie to someone else, and vice versa. So yeah, like when you were a kid, you said when uh, that hand puppet popped out of that, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, like like you you probably even lost your boner for a second. That was so terrifying to you at the time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> But yeah, so my I mean, little eight-year-old, my little eight-year-old boner. Yeah, something. exactly. If if, if if that was even possible, I, I can't even remember if that's biologically possible. But probably. No, we might have to ask. Oh, sorry, I was about to say. I was going to say we should ask Azir Argento, but that might be say, a little. Crazy. Yeah, come on. She she doesn't go that young. <laughs> she waits till uh, high school. Come on. But um, but yeah. So I mean, definitely Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, ended up being you know much uh much 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 better uh, fodder because because honestly 
I guess I guess another weird story of this um, movie. The fr- first time I saw this, I actually did not see this in theater. First time I saw it, I rented it from a video store, and this would have been maybe like a year after it hit video. And I kind of had a a borderline uh, strangers incident, if you will, where uh, uh, me and my mom were at our house. Uh, my dad worked nights, and uh, we had a siege, Trev. People banging on windows, throwing clumps of it was like a brand. It was when we built our uh, house, so the yard was just, um, you know, like mud. There was no grass yet, and so we had people banging on windows, and it was completely dark. We were kind of like out in the country, and at that time there was really no other houses nearby, and uh, it was pretty terrifying, you know, just sitting there here and trying to. I was trying to watch Elvira's Mr. Dark, and I hear all these these thumps and. We had, you know, huge chunks of mud, you know, and the the next day we go out and realize, like, you know, we kept going outside and turn on the light, but it was, like, so dark, you just couldn't see more than really, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30 feet. And then outside, you know, the next the next morning we could see all the footprints over they besieged our house. And I won't go as far as to say it was, like, terrifying because for the most part, we like, me and my mom didn't really understand what the hell was going on, you know? I was going to say, I'm sorry if I'm sorry if recommending this movie brought back some, some bad, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry if I triggered your PTSD, you know? I didn't mean but, but, I mean, I will definitely say um, that was just one of the stranger uh, incidents of my life in terms of, mm-hmm. you know... I know, I know a lot of times, you know, you know I, I watch a lot of horror movies. You watch a lot of horror movies, and you know, it's kind of like, you know, what would I do in this situation or that situation? And that was really the only time I think that I can remember that, you know, I, I think I felt like I was, like, literally in a horror movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess your answer to that question forever now is, like, well, what would I do in this situation? Is I guess I'll just keep watching Elvira's breasts. That's I mean, pretty much what I did. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we would stop the – I stopped the movie, and, you know, we looked outside, and – didn't see anybody. It'd be quiet for another 10, 15 minutes. Then you hear more banging on the windows or something hitting against the wall, you know, the side of the house or whatever. It's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty insane, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so uh, that's pretty much it. I hope you guys yeah. are having a great Halloween season. Real quick before you go, I've seen some photos and stuff. I got to ask, what was the um, the Halloween attraction you went to the uh, week or so? Oh, that was a, just a uh, it was a, a local cider mill by me. Uh, you know, just you know, a cider, out here in the Midwest, as I'm sure. I don't know how how far ranging this is across the whole country, but cider mills are definitely kind of a, a standard October kind of tradition. You can go to the cider mill and hang out and get some. Uh, you know, cider and donuts and then maybe go on a hayride and do the corn maze, things like that. And this one I visited had a a really amazing uh, Halloween general store. That was just this like little old fashioned country general store, but just, just full of different Halloween merchandise. And yeah, it was, it was pretty fantastic. It was really like, I kind of didn't want to leave. I just felt like I was in my element. I Uh, saw that. I saw you posing with kind of some of the props and different things. And I was like, wow, this is really like, I mean, it really looked like some of the photos you posted really looked like some next level shit where i'm like this is even kind of like more interesting than what you see it like you know like a universal horror thing yeah or whatever, you know? yeah it was it was very cool but yeah I, i'm definitely you know there's been that uh, i'm definitely in the halloween spirit heck oh i didn't i don't know if it ever came across on mic i hope not but uh you i know you're gonna support this during the film as we were sitting here i was eating a uh, little debbie pumpkin delight oh yeah which, uh, yeah which is a, a, my favorite october treat so yeah, no, I got, I got, I got to find some man. They, they again for the second year in the row, uh, my grocery store does not have them. I don't mm. know what the hell's going on in California. Why we can't have the little Debbie pumpkin things? 
Yeah, I can't even imagine not having them. That's like that's how I know Halloween yeah. stars gonna start when I find those at the grocery it's, store. It's brutal, but yeah, pretty much uh, you know, just stocking up on the horror movies here, and uh, I might I might make it out to a pumpkin patch. I'm not sure, but the yeah. thing is, we already bought a bunch of pumpkins, so it would kind of be going just to go on the hayride or whatever. But yeah, but I'm hoping I can squeeze that in before the big day. And as we discussed on the, the the Midnight Hour episode, you have a costume locked and loaded. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I said before that, you know, I wouldn't dress up, but um, there's, a, there's a Halloween store, like, literally two minutes from my house. I might have to check it out, you know. Well, let me let me float an idea, Goat. How about you go as Elvira? <laughs> that would not... That would that would not be pretty at all. <laughs> I don't even know what or how that would happen or look. Come like on, we said that. she's wrapping it up. You know, there's got to be a new Elvira. You know, I don't know it if this this April, this April girl's still around. Maybe, but you you could have your shot now. So, if I had a if I had to nominate um, a uh, a new Elvira, I think I'm going with the uh, what's her name, Alexandra Daddario. Mm-hmm. That's who I'm going with. She's got the pale yeah, skin. I, I, she's, got, she's got the physique. Yeah, the the, the I was gonna say yeah, the pale skin is what you were talking about. Sure, yeah. goat. Yeah, that's all I was talking about. <laughs> I wasn't talking about the fact <laughs> that, that, that I watch Texas Chainsaw 3D <laughs> like a religion, and it's not because of the great, <laughs> awesome <laughs> leather face appearances. Real quick before we go, uh, there, there, I you know. There is, like, for the first time in, what, 10 years or 9 years, there's a new Halloween movie coming out for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. It's not out yet uh, as of this recording, so we haven't seen it, obviously. We don't know if it's good, but, I mean, I am happy that it's coming out on Halloween and not August. I think that's a nice first step, you know, so. I I, I will say this, because, you know, everybody's been doing these non-spoiler reviews and whatever. Somebody did put the plot up on Wikipedia, and I kept having things spoiled and spoiled. I did take a glance, like, at the plot description, and I think this one's going to be a winner. You know, I, yeah. I I didn't try to read it too much or, you know, really get into the spoilers, but just reading kind of the setup of the movie. I think this one's going to be good. I think this is going to be the movie that, I mean, the Rob Zombie thing is like, okay, that's that's like whatever. That was a completely different thing. But in terms of like the way the original series really got weird with like the cult and all that, I think this is going to be like, you know, a good back to being a straight, legit, you know, we don't have to worry about Buster Rhymes and his found footage cameras or like, like there it doesn't sound like there's anything in this movie that's going to be out of left field. Cause, cause I feel like for so long, Trev, like us, uh, Michael Myers fans, whatever, we just want, give us our meat and potatoes, Michael Myers, uh, you know, action. And I feel like a lot of these later sequels of the franchise, they were trying to push it into some other gimmick and and not really yeah it's get, it's know. it's hard it's weird because like I, I not to keep this going for too long getting too many tangents but there, there's like certain series where you don't mind that right like i don't mind friday the 13th getting as stupid as possible give shoot jason into space send him to hell i don't care do whatever right but there's a simplicity to michael myers that just doesn't seem like it opens itself to that right. so I, I think you're right that you kind of want it to be just a little bit more basic because even adding in something like a cult you're kind of like Ugh, i don't know yeah. you know so I agree. So yeah, it looks like it looks like Halloween 2018 is going to, you know, the, the not the movie, but the 
the holiday I'm talking about. It's, it seems like you know we're, how we're talking about on the Midnight Hour show. Seems like a little. It feels like a little bit that Halloween is back. So I mean, yeah, you know, it's definitely good to see. So Trev, I definitely want to thank you for not only doing you know this episode, but for really kind of you know picking the couple movies we did this year, which you know because. You know, it's 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 hard to you know we can always pick out something off the shelf of a horror movie, but you know it, it's it's hard too with a, there's millions of podcast movie podcasts, millions of horror movie podcasts. It's hard to sometimes come up with stuff that maybe hasn't been covered to death. And I thought you came mm-hmm. up with a, a you know a pair of nice picks here that you know I had a lot of fun rediscovering or you know, seeing and, and thinking about and talking about. So definitely, man, thank you. So you definitely gave me a treat this year. So I, I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's it's always a pleasure. And, you know, uh, maybe next Halloween we'll actually do some ways that are like legit scary or something. But <laughs> yeah, hey, maybe. there's nothing nothing wrong with having fun on Halloween, too. So Exactly. Exactly. We kind of we kind of did the PG Halloween this year, but it, it, I, well, where the well should be R, but somehow yeah. getting by PG. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I still feel a little bit like my horror craving was satisfied. So again, thank you, everybody. I want to genuinely, uh, you know, wish you all a happy and safe and healthy Halloween. Go to all those Halloween parties, even the ones that happen on November 4th. Why not get some extra use out of your costume? Yeah. So everybody give candy to anybody who shows up in costume, damn it. Yes. Yeah, whole yeah. like don't yeah. put age limits on trick or treating. Halloween, you're everybody's a kid, man. Exactly. Communities are in- introducing laws saying you'll get actual jail time if you're 13 or older and you try to trick or treat. Come on. As long mm-hmm. as somebody shows up in the costume and obviously not doing shenanigans, but if you show up in the costume and you know, you knock on the door and you say trick or treat when I open it, I'm going to give you some candy, damn it. Damn right. Care. Yep. So, everybody, thanks for checking us out. Happy Halloween, and we'll see you next time in the movie graveyard. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com.